Tuesday, June the 21st, 2022. Moving along in 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said podcast. We've got a fandom-heavy episode. Lots going on in the world of Star Wars and Marvel. And we're going to get into Louisiana Downs Tuesday full card for you. We're going to hit on Obi-Wan Part 5, our deep dive recap and review scene by scene with Matt Velasco. Part 6 coming up. The series finale, the season finale, maybe there will be a a second season, we don't know. What's going to happen? This is a full deep dive, so spoiler alert, we're going to get into everything that went down in the entire Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and in particular, Part 5, Episode 5, then Miss Marvel. We dive into Episodes 1 and 2 with Tim Kelly, scene by scene, everything going on in Miss Marvel, new episodes out every Wednesday, so we'll get into the first two, get you set up for episode three, coming up later this week. This episode is brought to you by BetterThan.Vegas, at BTV Bets. Give them a follow on Twitter. They have a live stream schedule that is incredible right now. Free videos, free analysis, all sorts of handicappers all around the world providing you information just to help you become a better, better. Everything's free over at BTV. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. I host shows for them basically every day from some sort of different topic. If there's anything important happening in baseball, football, basketball, soccer, football, tennis before big tennis events, golf before big golf majors, we discuss all of it. Everything And now as football season approaches, we'll start getting into big previews of NFL teams, divisions, over-unders, futures, lots of football talk coming soon at Better Than Vegas. We're going to get right into the horse racing portion of this episode. Let's talk about Tuesday, Louisiana Downs, June the 21st. Remember, out at Louisiana Downs now, they have seven race cards every day that they race. Turf and dirt racing, and the takeout 17% win place show and 15% for pick fours and pick fives. They've changed the pick four and pick five wagers. They're no longer jackpots anymore. So, a really player friendly wagering menu out at Louisiana Downs. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse 
and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Remember, every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, we have our weekly show titled This Weekend in Stable Duel. Matt DeSantis, Barry Spears, join me. The three of us give out our best bets for different racetracks that have Stable Duel contests on Friday and on Saturday. And all of the horses that we give out are 5 to 1 or above. It's the no chalk zone. We don't give out prices trying to get winners. We try to make you money and give you horses that might be able to change your day, change your week, change your month, and really help you build those stable dual lineups. That's every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Let's dive into Tuesday, Louisiana Downs, June the 21st. I'll be out there at Louisiana. Well, not at Louisiana, but on the broadcast as part of the broadcast each and every day that they race Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Tuesday, first post, 3.05 Central Time, and it's a seven-race program. There's a pick six jackpot that starts in race two, a pick five that starts in race three, 15% takeout, it's no longer a jackpot, and a pick four that starts in race four each and every day. Let's start in race number one, and we've got a $5,000 non-winners of two claiming race, a mile and 70 I had a tough time getting around the short price favorites in here. The two, Madam Pie and the five, Vicious Velma. Vicious Velma had a pretty bad start. Bumped, slight stumble, ended up a lot farther back than she wanted to be and where she normally is. I just thought she was going to kind of pack it in and back up. I was extremely impressed with her being able to move into contention the way she did. And Vicious Velma would be very tough in here with a better beginning. Madam Pie has been in excellent form right now. She just missed last time out. It was a 
wicked beat. And the runner that she lost to, Emma's ruler, came right back to win in her next start. Madam Pie is going to go third off the bench. She can show some speed or sit just off. I think that's when she's best, sitting like second or third, just off the pace. 5-2, then the one St. Maria, who had a brutal start in her most recent race. She moved up nicely to fourth on the outside. It was a solid second that day behind the heavy favorite, but she will have a couple other tough ones in here to deal with. 5-2-1 in race number one. We move to race number two. It's the Louisiana-bred allowance, non-winners of two, three-year-olds and up, mile and 70 on the main track. I thought the five was interesting here. Anita's vision. Now, she's going to have to deal with uh, a little bit of a layoff four months off, but she's actually run well before off of similar type freshening. She ran well when she finished second on December the 9th. That was off a three-month break. If you eliminate the grass race, you eliminate the race on an off track, you're left with five races. All of them are top three finishes. She beat a horse named Canada's Customs on January the 16th. Canada's Customs has already won twice at this meet. Beat Louisiana bred non-winners of three and Louisiana bred non-winners of four. I think Anita's vision has a shot in here at a bit of a price. The four start well with the blinkers coming off. We'll now get back to the dirt against Louisiana breds. She was on the turf last time against Louisiana breds. I think we can put a line right through that race. She had a slow start and she just didn't really like the turf. And then on April the 8th, she faced open breds. There were... Two next out winners, the second and fifth place finisher, both won their next start. The fifth place finisher won her next two starts. That March 18th race, there were also two next out winners. So start well comes out of some pretty live and pretty productive races. I think she's going to run better in here. The one jersey hottie is the inside speed. This is the one they'll all have to run down. 5-4-1. I don't really have any knocks on the two, my friend Mr. Jim. Just like a couple others in here, more who should be better priced. We move to race number three. This one does kick off that pick five. The five for long turf sprint, it's uh, 15 to 17, five restricted claimers. I'm going to look at the five here. McLean. I played this guy last time out, and I played him because on May the 8th, he ran pretty well. He was second, pressing a loose on the lead winner, and he moved up to challenge. He took a shot, but he faded. He ended up finishing sixth that day. The horse who won, Spectrolite, came back to win. There were actually four horses in that race who came back to win next time out. McLean was one of them. On May the 30th, he was tracking inside just behind the top two that were battling it out. He waited patiently, kept to the inside, got a nice opening, and was kind of shifting around a bit, but was pretty impressive. And could again get that same type of trip. Can he sit just behind the speeds in here? Rocky Bar, Six, Pickens, Young Tuscan, Saturday's Gold all seem like they want to be forwardly placed. I'll lean towards the five, McLean, with the three, hug the money as a major player. He was also in that very same May 8th race that McLean was in. Following that, hug the money, tried the dirt, and he's just not nearly as good. Completely different horse on the turf. So he comes back to the turf, hug the money, could be very tough and could sit off nicely in here. He's got more speed than McLean, but I don't think he wants to get caught up with some of the other speed horses in here. Can't really knock Saturday's gold and what he's done recently. He is in really nice form. He's an honest turf sprinter. He's tough to leave out of any exotics. 
He's going to go second start off the short break. He fits the conditions of this race perfectly because he's not a non-winners of four. He's won four. But since December 31st, he's only raced three times, and this is a non-winners of two since December 31st. He's won one. He's got a close third and a close fourth in his other two. She's only raced, what, twice? So a win in a second, a win in a fourth. Beautifully fits the conditions. You don't want to see horses who have been beaten over and over again in that time period. Saturday's gold going to be pretty tough in here. So we'll stack them 5-3-6 with the one, the Carl Broberg, first off the claim, Pickens, sort of intriguing. And you get the two-for-one action with the entry. Turning the page to race number four, $5,000 non-winners of three claimers, five and a half furlongs, the distance. I'm going to go to the outside with the number six, Silky's Dance. In his most recent race, he had a fine start. He was right with the leaders, but he had to back off so not to get caught in between horses and duel three across the track. He t- he tried to come on again, but got stuck in some sneaky traffic when two to uh, the outside made early moves. He's drawn well. He's going to go third start off the bench. I think Silky's dance is set for a big one in here. In the second spot, I'm going to use the four, no quarter, who really battled on hard and well all the way in that race. It was on the May 31st race that Silky's dance was also in. No quarter defeated him that day and showed good speed and now gets a slight turn back. The one Diablo cat looks like the one to catch from the inside. Second start off the short break. 6-4-1. Moving to the fifth. Seven and a half furlongs on the turf course. I like the six horse in here a little bit. If you're trying to beat maybe one of the other short prices, Carly is dream. Respect the one a lot. Third off the long layoff, back in with Louisiana Breads. Her last win was actually at Louisiana Downs last year. She's a stakes winner with some back class. Then you got Mangla Sen, who is really quick. Stakes winner, second start off the short break. But I actually prefer the number six in here, Mr. Four Sevens. Overall, he's in really nice turf form. If the five can put some pressure on the four, Mr. Four Sevens might be able to get the jump on Carlia's dream. I'm banking on a battle up front. I think he will try to sit nicely. If you look at some of the races he comes out of, they're not bad either. Chimney Rock, who beat him two starts back, is stakes placed. Though a third place finisher from that race, Hooray Austin, won next out a first level allowance at Evangeline. 614 in race number five on Tuesday over at Louisiana. Let's move along to race number six. Maiden special weight, six and a half furlongs on the dirt. The eight Hilaire has had some trouble in back-to-back races. She ran into a horse, or he ran into a horse named Osceola two starts back, and Osceola is in excellent form. Osceola came right out of that race to win again just the other day. You have Shane Wilson chain trained Masabi, uh, first start off the claim. I'll use these two more under, the 7 and 8. I'm going to have the 3 and the 4 on top of them. The 3 gold prize. Tried one mile first time out. That's never easy. Just to give you an idea of uh, the Karen Jacks barn, with first time starters, they're 3 for 29. With second time starters, 6 for 31. 19% with a 521 ROI. Since the start of 2021, this barn has won... With a 9 to 1, 9 to 1, 17 to 1, 23 to 1, and 10 to 1 horse making their second start. Huge prices. The four, Bill Hill, comes in from Oaklawn Park. His debut put a line right through it. It was a really weird track. It was a wet track. There was snow. Comes back in his second start, much improved. 
Finishes a close fourth, only beaten a few lengths. Career start number three. He had to back out of a tight spot early on, and he had to he tried to come on again. The winner that day went wire to wire. So as soon as you have to back out of this spot, you're in trouble. Three, four, eight, seven in the sixth. As we move along to a very difficult closeout race, race number seven, mile on the turf, made in 12-5 claimers. I like the seven in here, Charlie's Gal. She's been on the turf twice. One of them was at this level on May the 4th, where she was in a little bit of traffic early. She moved outside. She was right up within two lengths at the top of the lane and just a little bit flat late. She finished fourth, and there were three horses in front of her. Two of them won their next start. She then stepped up and tried maiden special weights and just ran into a group that was a little bit too tough. Now she drops back to a level where she's been competitive. Third start off the bench, expecting a big one from Charlie's gal. The number six, Miss Tonalist, had to take back out of a spot early on in between horses, got squeezed back to last, and then had to stay really wide. Now we'll go first start off the claim for trainer Joe Foster. She's going to be tough in here. The three, Dove with a Cause. She flashed good speed on March the 17th, going a mile and a 16th against Maiden 25 Claimers. That was on the turf at Fairgrounds. And then when she came over here to Louisiana, she got some action. She was 9-2. to two. She had a fine start, but she had to take back a little bit so she didn't battle. And once she backed off, the horse that was on the lead, all ears, ends up winning. She's going to drop another notch. She's got a little bit more speed than it might suggest if you're just looking at her last running line. The one, born into bad news, came running nicely late to finish second in her first turf start. What's wrong with the four Zandies D, who had a, a dam that had a win, a second, and a third in five turf starts? And in her debut... On a muddy track, Zandy D was okay. She couldn't keep up early in the slot, but she did close pretty well to finish third. Sandra D, don't make me get into uh, into my Grease songs there. That's Tuesday. Well, we're at Louisiana Downs. Best of luck to everyone out there, and come get involved. The racing product is very good at Louisiana. We're making some money over there, and the takeout is good for the betters. Come give it a look. Louisiana Downs every Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Up next, we're going to get into Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5, The Deep Dive with Matt Velasco. Before we do, I want to remind you about our friend, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. We had an interview with Cindy Carava last week that I posted on all social media and here on the That's What She Said podcast. She talked all about the current market, how things are moving, how things are changing, and you heard how knowledgeable she is, how kind she is, how caring, how much she just wants to help all of you. And she can do that in many ways as a full-service realtor, buying, selling, leasing. She can help you with home improvement. Maybe you just need to be connected with vendors like gardeners, landscapers, painters, people that she has experience with, has worked with in her own homes. And maybe you are having a tough time with the loan process, she'll connect you with the right type of lender that'll expedite that process, make your life a lot easier. That's what she's going to do. She's going to make things easier on you. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. 
Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5 Deep Dive. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to get into everything from Part 5, Episode 5 of this installment. We say parts instead of episodes because we don't want to get confused with the, the Star Wars movie episodes. Part 5 of Obi-Wan. It's the Deep Dive with Matt Velasco. It's that time of the week again. We're going to get into Part 5 of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Matt Velasco joins us for uh, our deep dive, our recap and review of everything going on in part five. We'll get you all set up for the series finale as of now. Uh, see, I, maybe <laughs> season finale. I'm not sure. I've been hearing possible rumors that we could get a, a second season of this, or maybe there will be similar stories of this time period in other projects. Matt, for me, Coming off of this episode, I think the best way to describe my relationship with this show now is like high highs and low lows. There are some things that I really like about the show that they're doing. And then there are a couple other small things that I I can't get past. I did Mm -hmm. like a lot of what we saw in part five. I can't wait to get into the deep dive with you. So give us some of your overall thoughts on uh, part five where – we head to Jabim. We get to spend some time there, and we get these what I thought were incredible flashbacks mm-hmm. with uh, with Anakin and Obi Wan. Did this prequel fan like watching <laughs> the sparring, the verbal and physical sparring of Obi Wan and Anakin? Yes, very much so. I I was really on the rewatch that that those the the weight of those scenes. Uh, began to sink in yeah i was i was a little distracted by the de-aging yeah uh, effects as, the face. as usual i overlook them very quickly me too i know <laughs> i know hayden and and you and hayden christensen and you and mcgregor are you know 20 years older than they were when when they filmed attack of the clones um so i mean i'm able to look past that i think this episode as with episode three part three has been effective in exploring the psychology of Anakin Vader. Absolutely. Cautiously exploring it, right? Not losing the kind of reverence that the camera has for Vader, the fear and awe that we experience as, as an audience member, right? This isn't like Vader's diary, but there's so much that a director can elicit just by juxtaposing these scenes of Anakin with, Vader looking out the 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 window of his uh, star destroyer, right? Absolutely. So, absolutely. Th- this was these clips were maybe my favorite thing of the series so far, and I think something that people were were hoping for a little bit earlier on, but they <laughs> saved them for a good spot, and they had a lot of weight throughout the episode, as basically we're seeing Obi Wan kind of remembering the relationship that he had with Anakin and thinking, okay. There's no way I could beat this guy in hand-to-hand combat, but I might be able to outthink him, mm-hmm. and I might be able to outsmart him and use some of his own strength and aggression against him. Because for the most part, you know, we've we're finding out now, really, and we, we've we've seen it all throughout his time. Anakin's a dumb jock, you know, like he's <laughs> like he's yeah. he's this super talented prospect that is incredible. He's a pitcher with the fastest fastball that's out there, but he's really only got a fastball. You know, I, he I see that. I see that. To me, he's he's deeply insecure. I mean, I mean yeah. maybe those aren't those are compatible. And I think the show is show like how 
how much even now, 10 years later, he's almost seeks. I mean, you're, I'm reading into this a little bit, right? But yeah, he's absolutely. Obi-Wan's approval. Completely. This is what it's all and, about is proving right. that he's better than the master. Right. Proving that he's as powerful as strong with the force. He can right. beat him. He can outsmart him. And it's fascinating to me, you know, just to, to, to see it. I, I really, really loved those flashbacks. I loved how there were three, I think three or four throughout the episode that we'll get into. And each time you can see what's happening 10 years ago play out now. Yeah. 10 years ago in storyline and how it'll it's playing out in their current interaction, which is a just like what you were pointing out. It's a really cool way of doing it without having Darth Vader cut a soliloquy promo. Right. right. You know, where he's right. like going deep into his feelings. That's is about as good of a way to do it. Mm-hmm. The the major issue I have with this is just the Reva story arc. That's just feels it feels okay. a little bit wonky to me. Now, here's my my problems. I I have a hard time getting to the fact that Reva was able to just be okay with so much evil, be a part of so much evil just to try to get to Anakin and get to Darth to even things out. Like everything that she hated about him is mm-hmm. what she's been doing to how many people throughout. That was my only issue. I wish that there could have been maybe a different that, that's just something that I have a hard time personally getting getting mm-hmm. past. Like she's okay with killing all of these kids, torturing people, watching Vader absolutely destroy everyone just to try to wait till she gets her moment. And she's never had that moment at all before. I that's my only my, my I think my one of my biggest irks with with this episode coming out. It's mm-hmm. she. I think her performance is great. I think she does a great job there. But she. The motivation seemed a little bit weird to me. Yeah, I won't. So I similarly was distracted. I, I on rewatch, I I really like her scene with Obi Wan, but in yes. my initial viewing, I was pulled out of the scene because I was running through the logic, right, mm-hmm. trying to understand her motivation, and it's hard, right, to explain <laughs> what motivates someone with trauma to to then like enact trauma on others which is kind of what her her storyline is i um i don't know i think i'm i really want to i find certain aspects of reva's reveal fascinating me too we can kind of dive into that and i want to hold some space to watch the whole show right all that's very fair together getting too critical and then read all of Riva's moves in that in that context. I still don't quite understand her. So she, in other scenes, including in her interrogation with Leia, which of course could have been part performance, she she says something to the effect of like you you know anyone who is a enemy to the Empire who doesn't show allegiance to the Empire, right? So does she feel any allegiance to the Empire? Is something I found. Myself one wandering, mm-hmm. wonder, wondering. I think it's. I think she really is acting only for herself. I agree. And to fuel her rate, her her rage, and anything beyond that is to some degree illogical, right? From our standpoint, but through her kind of narrow view of the you know, 
her world, but a world that was, you know, uh, in part a, a product of the failure of the Jedi and of Anakin's decision. Like, I, I can, I can kind of grasp yeah, and- her hatred and rage. Of course, I can't like. I think there was there's a little the calibration is slightly off because it should have landed clearer mm-hmm. and it did leave me confused. That's, Although I'm be, I've become more fascinated by it than frustrated with it. Uh, that's a fair and I think you hit a word that makes me feel a little bit better about it too is trauma, mm-hmm. right? We we're thinking we're talking about it, someone who had incredible trauma at a young age. You don't know how someone's going to react out of that. And it's sort of so I guess it's unfair for me to just sort of say, hey, this is how she should be. She shouldn't be doing that because we we all react differently to major traumatic events where this young girl was taken from her family to become trained to be a Jedi. So her new family that she trusts, that she puts all her faith into, kill, literally kill her and her and like the people around her tried to kill her. She makes it through and. We don't really, yeah, it's, I just wish there, there feels like, I think that one of the uh, people on the ringer said this, it feels like, and again, I'm not going to be too critical because a lot of what I'm seeing, I like, I want to read the full book before we can talk about it too next week, but it feels like it should have either been a little bit shorter or a little bit longer. This, like, I'm kind of, it's kind of like this. This well, like the whole overall, because it feels like there might have been an episode or two or a little bit more from Riva that we're missing mm-hmm. that we didn't get. And then yeah. in so if you, if this was to be a, a, a TV show, maybe three or four more episodes where you could get you could kind of get even a little bit more about Tala. I thought some of the um, the stuff we got with Tala in this episode was great mm-hmm. um, with her reveal and, and her talking about some of the things that she's done and why she feels the need to do this, mm-hmm. why she feels so pushed to save all these people because she she's kind of trying to even things out for the bad that she did, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't even realize what she was doing. I like that stuff. So I will be cautious, uh, yeah. cautiously optimistic that they, you know, they can put a nice bow on it. But the the way they've handled the traditional characters, which is something that I think you've said a few times, I love. Mm-hmm. I think they've been pretty, pretty great with. With a lot of the traditional characters, and with with young Leia, she's awesome too. Yeah. So the Obi Wan, Darth, yeah. and Leia stuff, I'm I'm really into all of. And Reva, like I said, Reva, I have, don't have any knocks on the character, the performance. It just seems like I feel like we're missing a little something, or some maybe some more. To I would have loved to see what happened to her right after Order sixty six. Yeah. What was she doing? Where she says, you know, she makes little comments like. You have no idea what I've done alone. Yeah, yeah. That I to, I'd love to see some of that, just a yeah. little bit, like Wanda in Sokovia with her brother, right? If you're thinking MCU Marvel, give me a tad bit of her, like on the streets suffering, or the the, the Inquisitors finding her. A little bit of that. I, I maybe we maybe we do get it. Maybe we do get it in this next episode. We'll see. I think what like, I, well, two things. Like technically, I think. Part of the reason it feels abrupt is because it was deliberately withheld from us as a reveal. I mean, absolutely. A no, you're right. New clues: the way she reacts to Vader killing uh, a child in Part Three, but otherwise, we're not let in. I had hoped in Part Four that we'd get into Reva's head a bit more with Leia, but even then, it was quite cryptic and it is to preserve that reveal. But then the the downside is that. <laughs> 
we don't feel prepared enough for the reveal, right? Or we don't see, we didn't, it doesn't make, you know, cohere as much with, with the plot as we would like. Um, I do think, you know, I, one of the nice subtleties and why I liked this episode a lot, although we haven't, I really haven't gone into my problems with the episode yet. We'll get there. Um, is, and it's understated, but you have someone like Leia who was saved from Vader's, like from the wrath of the Sith, who Obi-Wan did care for. And this is someone that Obi-Wan, Reva, Obi-Wan's not even aware of her existence in a way, right? This yeah. is someone he didn't save. I mean, in the previously on, there's a quote about Leia from the previous episode where Obi-Wan says, she's 10 years old. I won't leave her there. He left, right? They all left. The Jedi failed Reva. They failed yep. these younglings. And it's interesting that, you know, more than a gimmick of having an, a legacy character with Leia, I think it's interesting that the, you know, aside from Obi-Wan and, and Vader, you have someone who was spared the worst of the Jedi purge and all resources put to preserve Leia's life. And then someone who was completely forgot forgotten, discarded, abandoned, left in the gutter. And you have these divergent, I mean, I mean, who, how could they be more different in some ways, Reba yeah. and Leia, you know? Yeah. It's a great, uh, it's a great point. And we, okay. My, my other small problem, and then we'll get into our deep dive and we'll go scene by scene. Come on, Bale. Bale, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing here, man? Like, you're better than this. You know better than this. You deal in codes already. You've already come out of your way, traveled to go see Obi-Wan in person because it right. didn't seem like you wanted to give away anything in a message. And now you're willing to give a hell of a lot away in yeah. a message. And, and let me let me say this. Obi-Wan, delete the text. Yeah. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, delete yeah. the message here. That was one of the things that for two people who have been doing this for years, this wasn't like these are brand new kids that they haven't been having to play cover or having to play code. Bale did this a lot in text and, and other content that he's involved in. He's always known that he couldn't be upfront and say Luke and Leia and the, call them the kids and who their dad is. And this was, yeah. so this was something that I, you know, it was, it's needed for the plot. It's needed to right. make things move forward, but ah. It, it come on come on Bale come on man <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure I have to be honest I'm pretty sure our last podcast I was saying something like and Obi-Wan hasn't even contacted Bale and they've kind of like <laughs> well you <laughs> called so it that they were going to find out in the first three minutes that they were being tracked and oh. that and, and so that like right off the bat you called exactly what was going to happen in the episode that they were going to find out immediately they were being tracked and then it was more about the the battle the stance what happened with Reva and Obi-Wan and some of the flashbacks. So you you sniffed out on the uh, Matt Velasco checklist. If you were betting some right. of the Matt Velasco props from last episode, you definitely fared pretty, very well. Uh, all I, I guess I'm saying that I probably would have made Bale's mistake. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> I was wondering why the plot hadn't involved communication between them. And now we know why, right? That's, yep. it, it's, it's a horrible idea. So. Okay, let's get into part five of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll get into our deep dive. We start with the previously on. We get the Lucasfilm title and the, the Star Wars title. And we open in Coruscant with the younger 
ponytailed Anakin Skywalker, Hayden playing him, staring off at the palace where Padme lives. So from a timeline perspective, we're talking before Attack of the Clones. Because it's gotta be. Right, yeah, because he's got he still has an arm, one. He's just from the look and the ponytail, two, and the longing and the staring off at Padme. You mentioned the de-aging. So they've done that a little bit to his face, kind of around the mouth is where like you can sort of notice things a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it is there was this um there were like a couple of moments throughout where it it's almost like um Anakin, like the first time we we sort of really see him when he turns around and he says, "I was beginning to think you weren't coming, Master." You know, and then and then his second line when Obi Wan says, "You know, Obi Wan says something," and Anakin says back, "Are you know, are are you ready?" He has this little smirk that's almost like, "Hey guys, I'm back." Yeah, look, it's me. It's it's Hayden. I'm here. It's like this this joy that you could sort of see that I kind of picked up on. It made me smile. Just seeing him back, especially this guy who, um, you know, the the poor uh, guys who had to play the younger version of Anakin, man, they dealt with a lot of nasty stuff from fans through the years. And yeah. it's amazing that he can now sort of feel a little bit different about Star Wars, because I'm sure for a while it probably was hard for these guys who had to play the younger Anakin and didn't get you know, they had to play Darth Vader as a kid and as an angsty tween, you know, yeah. really emo. This. There was just something beautiful about seeing that smile that like, hey, it's me. I'm Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's back. I'm back. We're doing this thing. Yeah. I and I I think, you know, like you said, he's an he's a angsty teen. A lot of folks don't like his characterization in Attack of the Clones and find him whiny, etc. Right. I mean, there's there's some there's some tough lines in Attack of the Clones, no doubt. Um, but what I really liked about this scene, this entire framing device and sequence, is how a lot of the things he says in Attack of the Clones, when you think of events like this, right, where he says to Padme early on in the move in, in the movie, uh, in in her apartment, in some ways, in a lot of ways, I'm ahead of him, right? He he still sees him as he, you know, you kind of understand why he thinks he's stronger and and. Uh, more powerful than Obi-Wan yep. and how Obi-Wan undermines his confidence in a way or kind of pokes at these insecurities mm-hmm. even in in trying to train him, right? Padme yeah. says to Anakin in, in that same scene, all mentors have a way of seeing more of our faults than we would like, right? He thinks yeah. he's good. He, he knows, he, you know, mercy won't save, whatever, <laughs> uh, mercy won't defeat the enemy, all the things he says, like he has a kind of, you know, tries to, gesture towards some sort of wisdom and experience and then he gets undercut by obi-wan mm-hmm. so i mean the the scene these flashbacks work very clearly like they parallel the plot each each shift in the stre- you know the tactics of vader and obi-wan are mirrored in their exchange but i i also think it 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 really emerges from the character george lucas created which maybe wasn't flawlessly executed but I think it's, no, if I should say psychologically sophisticated, but there's depth there, right? There's mm-hmm. ways to read into this relationship that, you know, it's not a father-son relationship. It's not a, it, it's competitive and it's caring and it's a lot of things. And I think this scene is such a, you know, 
beautiful addition to the canon and to their relationship uh, in a way that, like I said in the very first episode we did, I I will be pleased if this if the show elevates <laughs> the Star mm-hmm. Wars movies, right? Not just fills the gaps. And to me, this the entire flashback, and we'll break it down even more, kind of elevates so many aspects of of Vader and Obi-Wan's relationship, clarifies it, but doesn't, it's not putting in something that wasn't already there. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's just making it a little bit sort of easier to understand, easier to comprehend when you see more of it, just gives you more of a sample size. And yeah, this was great. We had Obi-Wan and Anakin get ready to spar. They were training with lightsabers uh, right on the, um, in, in the same place that we see the younglings get uh, get slain, yeah. a lot of them, um, in the order night of Order sixty six. Love I think these. That's just the only set they had, right? Yeah, the that's the only that's the only place they have where the the Jedi right. train yeah. there. Um, so a great way to open this episode with this flashback, and then we get back to current day and. Every time we come out of one of these flashbacks, we come into the perspective of either Obi-Wan or Vader. So it's very well done the way it, it sort of like pulls out and then you're you're looking at it like it was a memory from Vader or it was a memory from Anakin. It's a memory from Obi-Wan and we see Vader uh, and Reva. Reva approaches Vader in the control room on the, the main quarters of the ship and Vader anoints Reva the Grand Inquisitor the tracker has worked Obi-Wan is on Jabim they are headed for Jabim at once and we now get a better look at Jabim so this is kind of what we had hoped for a little bit more like this this place that we just quickly came to in a blur we didn't see much but when we get to Jabim we have this refugee camp with a lot of the Jedi sympathizers and people who have been helping the Jedi, some Jedi themselves, uh, Force-sensitive people. And we actually see Haja Kumail. He's there. Yeah. We see the mother and the son that he actually helped escape. They are there. Um, there's a boy. The boy is actually named. So in reading oh. some things, they think that this boy may have a larger role um, because they've named him. I think it was Karan. So maybe we'll keep an eye on him as he seemed to be young, kind of around Leia's age. So we see him there. We see Haja and we see a group of people all along on the path who have come from all these different safe houses trying to get away from the Empire. What do you think about our look at Jabim? It's too little too late for me. And this is kind of my my biggest frustration with the show is how quickly it is almost fast forward it it almost feels like it's fast forwarding through the new the novel elements of the story right the path jabim the path is interesting in theory it's definitely relevant thematically for a show that's really concerned with children and childhood loss but it just feels flat in execution i mean part of that's line delivery um Part of it is, again, you know, you, you spoke about the scene with Tala, which felt maybe it would have made more sense in episode four. Um, it feels almost like it was a quick, <laughs> quick late addition because she's about to die. So we better learn something about her. I know, her like, shoe, like shoehorned in a little um, bit more. Broke in in this scene. 
gives really quick plot exposition about uh, these trade routes, these old trade routes they used to smuggle, and it's why they only have a limited amount of time. And I just, you know, I, I understand. I think the the structure of the show, for better or worse, they kind of had a structure where it we were talking about mission of the week, for lack of a better term. And the cost of that is the show rarely has time to just sit with the characters and exist and kind of immerse itself into these new worlds. Um, it moves so briskly, which, you know, maybe if it didn't, I think there might be other flaws to the show if it were slow and languishing, I agree. right? It would lose some suspense. It would lose some urgency. So I'm not, I'm not a script doctor, but I, I still like on a cognitive level, like I like the path, but on an emotional level, it's just I'm supposed to been, care about it more. I wish I, I wish I was more affected yeah. by it. And I think it, you know, even though it's highlighting this kind of, you know, uh, refugee experience in the Star Wars world, I just see a bunch of extras in those scenes, right? I know. They just read as a bunch bunch of extras. Like maybe if the Koran, you said, right? Yeah. Maybe if we had a point of view character who had a relationship with Leia, where Leia learns a little bit more about the Force, because there's no reason something. Leia can't know about the Force. Like, there, again, would that have worked in this episode where, you know, Vader's knocking on the door? No, right? So part of like this, the structure of the show doesn't permit characters to just sit around in a table and talk. So, yeah, I don't know. But I, you know, I, there's some power, you know, some Obi-Wan inspecting the discarded lightsabers and the Jedi clothing. Like, there's something there, but the show, um, I wish, committed more to that storyline. I agree. We we needed that. And that's sort of where I thought that that felt like the show could have been either a movie that was like a two and a half hour movie where well, you cut a lot of this into. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe you go two or three more episodes so you can get into Jabim a little bit more, into Rokin a little bit more, into Tala a little bit more, into some of the new characters that you want us to carry about. And then just continue to intermix them with with the great job you've done with the you know, with the older characters that we know and love, I agree because I like Tala. I like the idea of everything, but it didn't quite hit as, you know, as emotional as it could have if we knew her even a little bit more. So I also I, I kind of, you know, in in some ways, the quickest fix to me is add 10 minutes to part four. I, I wonder, know. like, I I think Part four is clearly thus far and probably will end up being the weakest link of the sh the series. I'm not the only one to say that. And if you were going to kill off Tala, had Tala died in part four, that would have been more impactful than Wade. You know, rest in peace, Wade. Um, I guess they're, you know, they save her because at Jabim, she we learn more about her character. Maybe it would have felt too rushed if she died in part four. I don't know. We could kind of, we could play the the what ifs, but it it just wasn't. I think there was another revision to this script that sh that strengthens and and integrates the path more strongly into the the aspects of the show that really do work. Um, because thematically, it's such an interesting way of linking Obi Wan's story and Leia's story and uh, Riva's story. Right, uh, Riva being 
being someone who would have benefited from the mm-hmm. path in a way, you know? Um, so, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I It's it's a nitpicky thing that ultimately it's the kind of flaw that I look over like routinely with the prequels. Like there's a lot of issues with execution in the prequels and stakes and underdeveloped characters. And so what always is more important to me with Star Wars is the story. And I think the story is pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, but I wish I was more emotionally involved. So Haja uh, in Obi-Wan talk, he he says that uh, right after I saw you, uh, I got in a fight with that scary lady Inquisitor. Now I'm wanted by the Empire. But now I know what it feels like to be a real Jedi. <laughs> but this place is a good business opportunity. He sort of looks around and starts think, thinking about who he can con out of a few bucks here. Obi-Wan looks like kind of put off by him. It's a really awkward cut or kind of yeah. awkward transition from the reintroduction of Haja to the like plot exposition from Roken and everything in this scene, which is part of why it feels feels flat to me, right? Um, I very much feel the like, I feel the screenwriter's presence when it's like, hey, it's Haja again. Haja, what are you doing here? Well, I had to escape from, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a very, very uh, uh, exposition-y scene. I mean, it needs to be. And and each episode has kind of had a scene like this where it's, let's move the pieces into place. Let's explain why, and, who's here and why. And I don't want to do- those scenes always weigh on me. I just- To compare this in like what- um. Like compare um, Miss Marvel, the show that's just started right now. So th- this won't be a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it or ruin anything. Including yours truly, I'm. But I'm behind. but but the way they they have like exposition and plot devices and they get in- information across is in a very sort of fun, creative, like Scott Pilgrim versus the world way. They use animation and like different things. I know it, it's sort of hard to do that in Star Wars, but yeah. you can be creative. And make things not feel like, okay, they're just telling us some information that we need to know. And it, like you said, it did feel like at least once per episode, we were talking about, oh, that was just something that needed to be said. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't really like a good or creative way of getting there. It was just sort of like, let's, let's shoehorn this information in. So, and I, and I hope because it sounded like at the very beginning, I've been very critical. Like I'm enjoying and being very much entertained by this series. There are just a few critical things that I hope will be a little bit different. And I may feel differently about them at the end of this, because there's so much good that's coming out of it. I would love it to just be the best possible. And yeah, um, I think part of it, you know, maybe one day we'll know the full making of story. I think when you take a movie and you convert it into a show and then you rewrite. I mean, this whole show was rewritten from from a, a previous version. And I think the previous screenwriter still has a story credit on some of the episodes or, or maybe even a writing credit. There are a lot of cooks right in the kitchen. And this happened with this is the same deal with Rogue One, too, which had a script and then significant reshoots. And just sometimes you see the seams, right, when these shows have been through so many phases of development and um yeah i mean i so i i think it, it's been more successful than the book of boba fett which has a si- similar story in that it was a movie and then mm-hmm. became a tv show um i think it's been more successful in having a clear structure clear through line uh clear themes 
clearer character motivations in Book of Boba Fett. So um. I agree. I definitely agree. And this is when we got some of that um that sort of exposition from Roken. Once he said, I need to once we get all these people out of here, I'll do whatever you want. They've been waiting for months. We used an old trade route to get them out, but the window's closing. We held it to help you get the kid. We only have a few hours. So Obi-Wan agrees. We'll do whatever we can to help as Roken gets everyone ready. And we hear Vader approaching. We see him approaching at light speed. Reva lets us know that uh, they are approaching Jabim. And he says, lock down the facility. It's not them we need to break. He's pretty singularly fixated here. He's not really interested in the people on the path, the other Force sensitives, the other Jedi or their sympathizers. He's got his blinkers on. He wants Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's very much in keeping with the in- Inquisitors' tactics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they know that we they are they need to break Obi Wan. He needs to break Obi Wan. Simply by placing people in peril, and Obi Wan knows that's his his strategy, right? Obi Wan knows that he is after him, and he uses that to his advantage, right? In ways that the the flashbacks and and the the story continues to develop. Lola, the droid for Leia, has been compromised by Riva, basically hacked. And remember, at the end of the final, the last part. We saw that, and so this droid now activates and breaks into the system at Jabim in their like their wiring, and so Obi Wan, Leia, Roken, Tala, everyone else on the path, they are trapped inside. They can't open the roof to try to escape, and mm-hmm. now they are going to be in a situation where they can't get out. And Vader and Reva and the Inquisitors and Stormtroopers and will all be sort of circling them and surrounding them. Uh, so they're not in the the best of spots right now. Everybody prepares and Obi-Wan looks around. And again, it's the stuff that we see on the path, I love. I love the the markings on the wall. I love the the readings, the sayings and stuff, but it's so quick. It's not visited enough. I think we could we could do a lot more with it. There are, you know, a pile of lifesavers on there. Wouldn't it be cool to know some of the stories of who they came from? Just little tidbits that could have been passed along or you know, the writings on the wall at Jabim's with the name of the names of Jedi, the name and different messages. Some of the things written on the wall in uh, in this particular place in uh, in Jabim. We have there is no death. Be with you. There was be with you all over the place, as in the may the force be with you. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the names of a few. I think Tiberius was on there. Um, v- uh, Von Halkron, oh, Roganda, uh, only strength. And then the one that Obi-Wan actually says, the light will fade, but is never forgotten. See, I love this stuff, and I like the real kind of feeling like history, right? Ancient History and cultures, writings on the walls, the way they share the messages. I love this type of stuff. This reminds me a little bit of the the boba with the Tuscan stuff. You know, you're just getting a little bit of kind of cool um, world building. But I completely agree with what you said. We spend so little time in the path and in these safe houses, and they don't make it seem like 
Rokin and Tala and these characters are all that important with with what they're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're told you're told these people have been waiting for a month, right? You get no mm-hmm. sense of them living there. That was a surprise to me, right? I I may have thought of it more as a way station. You know, you stayed a couple days. Um, I mean, the show the show just simply not interested in the kind of mechanics of the path, right? The the path is more of a backdrop for the focus uh, for the legacy characters and for Riva. And, you know, Roken is our Antala, right? And mm-hmm. I think I think Roken is underserved even more than very much. By the oh, yeah. Plot. I mean, he's essentially a foil to Obi-Wan, right? He's he he says no to a plan. Obi-Wan says, no, we're going to do the plan. And then he folds. I mean, that, that's kind of his scenes have a certain uh, repetitive. I know. Them. Um, yeah, and, he's just and, he's and, and like told, a real pawn. Yeah. yeah, we're told why he's committed to the path. I mean, it is sad for sure. A simple but... scene, seeing his wife, right? Where he told us about what happened to his wife. If we were able to see it a little more, or even when they're traveling, just a couple more stories from him, from his perspective. Yeah. I don't know, it just... Or just imagine Leia, what if, you know, if they had a, a child and Leia talking to the child and, you know, Leia's in the first episode is been told how that's not a real family like imagine her talking to someone who who also lost you know a family but or you know i mean like mm-hmm. using leia as a foil for because i i think she is a she is a contrast to reva but i think this is the core interest of this show is about these children mm-hmm. and so and, and i actually felt this episode didn't quite know what to do with leia so they're like go crawl in the you know go in the crawl space and you, she's in there the whole episode basically. the whole episode and it doesn't uh, fit you kind of forget about it you almost. kind of forget about it it's weird when you cut back because you're like vader's marching and then cut back to leia playing with wires um and it works i mean it's again part of the plot mechanics but i think doing something with leia and the other children in the path might have been the way to to um you know flesh out this world on an emotional level beyond being told how it works right we're told a lot of things about the path we're not shown a lot about the path we then can sense that vader and the imperial destroyer have arrived above them and obi-wan tala roken are all talking and uh Tala said that he wants us to surrender. If we surrender, he'll kill us all, talking about Vader. But Obi-Wan corrects. He will attack next. He doesn't have the patience for a siege. And then we get to another flashback. So as he mentions that, it's because he's thinking of one of their past interactions where Obi-Wan and Anakin are battling here with the lightsabers. They're training, and you can see Anakin is just swinging aggressively He's doing his backspin move. He looks really impressive, but he's acting like that young, you know, cocky, kind of angsty teen. And we we cut from what looks like Anakin's point of view right back to Vader, which I, I just sort of love the quick way they did this, where it was it went from Obi-Wan's point of view to their flashback, and then right back from Vader's point of view. This is the line that you mentioned earlier. Where uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin he's being too aggressive. A Jedi's goal is to defend life, not to take it. Anakin's response, 
Mercy doesn't defeat an enemy master, which is why you're gonna lose. Yeah, I, love, I, mean, I love the way they did these. It's kind of hot. I, I think people watching episode three have a hard time understanding why Anakin kills younglings. I think even with this show, right, we can have a hard time understanding that. But this mercy doesn't defeat the enemy is like really absolutist and really kind of gets into, again, if we want to try to understand the psychology of Anakin and and the genocide he carries out, right? It's the Jedi all become the enemy for him. And he, you know, and maybe this is similar to the psychology that, that, that Reva, right, adopts, is that it's a very kind of black and white uh, vision of the world. And I don't know, I mean, I'm reading a lot into that line, but I think there's this interesting ways in which and you see this in other ways in Attack of the Clones, where Anakin's worldview is like, it's really disturbing. It is. I mean, and and the, the Anakin way he, would, he slaughters, he slaughters know the it. Tuscan younglings in episode two. I mean, you know, um, which is clearly a precursor to him killing the Jedi younglings in episode three. Um yeah. I think we know politically which side he would be on in this day and age now. Oh, <laughs> I, I think I know yeah. where, where where Anakin would stand uh, in the current climate. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. He, he then, as Vader, gets closer and tells the others to launch the attack. So Obi-Wan and everyone in Jabim starting to panic a little bit. They're looking around. Obi-Wan tries to calm everyone down. So this is sort of the Obi-Wan that I think a lot of people were were expecting or had heard of. General Obi-Wan, one of the great Jedi's, Ben, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you know, think of some of the people who have asked him for help throughout and he wasn't really the same. This this felt like Obi-Wan trying to to be a leader. I can understand you're scared. The Empire will attack. They're stronger. They're better equipped. They're better trained. If we try and fight them, we will not survive. But we do not need to fight them. We just need to hold them off long enough to get you all out. And so he starts taking, you know, inventory. Okay, Roken, how long do you need to override the doors? Roken says a few hours. He tells him you've got one. Block every other remote access. Everything else, we're going to lock down every other entrance. If we defend our position, by the time they get inside, we will be gone. Yeah, but again, like Roken, like you said, Roken just says, "You heard him. Let's move it. Let's yeah. go." Like he's just I mean, there to sort of agree and okay, let's yeah. get on the way. If I can be really cynical, it's like if I'm on the path and suddenly Obi Wan shows up, and now we need to go rescue this kid from a fortress, and then he brings a kid back, and then he brings a whole empire with him. Like I understand why Obi Wan takes a leadership role here. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not sure Obi-Wan was the best thing for these people (laughs) at this moment. And I mean, the show, you know, Obi-Wan has no interaction with these. I understand you're scared. He interacts with Rogan. He interacts with Tala. uh, He interacts with Haja, right? Who's arguably not part of kind of an outsider as well. Um, And so, so, so all this is to say, I, I think, it may have been helpful or more emotionally resonant to see some of Obi-Wan's empathy for the people there directly, some of his interaction with them directly, but, but there's no time for it. There's 
literally no time, three minutes pass from their arrival on Jabim to Tala realizing they've been tracked, right? To, you know, a minute later, I think we're, we're, oh, no, we're around at, at this scene. Yeah, we're quite, no, 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 then it's a flashback, then it's this scene. My point being, right, it, it, it gets to that sense that we're fast forwarding through, through the Jabim stuff. But it's okay. I mean, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> it, it's like he's sitting here rallying the troops four weeks ago. He's denying people who are asking him for help and then get hung. <laughs> but here he's the, the coach rallying everybody. Right. Yeah. Uh, how how far away that, that seems. But yeah. Obi, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's got him ready to rock. Roken um, agrees with Obi-Wan. They get all the refugees, all these uh, folks ready to work to defend themselves to find a way out. So Ned B and the droids help as the Empire gets closer, and now the stormtroopers are right outside the walls of the safe house. They're on Jabim. Reva makes her way to the front of the charge, and they can they can hear inside with all the, the refugees, with Obi-Wan, with Tala, that on the outside they're trying to get through. And Roken attempts to open the roof, but the machine stuck up, and it just doesn't work <laughs> Haja says Well that was underwhelming You know just like a, yeah. It's got to be Kumail to say that line too And I, I wanted Roken was getting frustrated with him He said uh, you know I don't need your opinion Haja asks if he went up in the vents Roken then mentions he he's too big He can't But Leia will She says that she's going to need a ladder Roken shoots her down immediately Tells her it's not playtime princess <laughs> But Obi-Wan goes to bat for her yeah. And I can sort of sense What you know where you were going With this right before too it's just The girl who is the reason why all of these are tra- People are trapped in here the reason why They all may die now she's going to be The one this little girl to go save the day um, yeah. and, But remember The Skywalkers they're tech wizards From Anakin to <laughs> Luke They've all been incredible When it comes to fixing things Leia is force sensitive and Obi-Wan says, if you trust me, I trust her. Get her the ladder. Roken's response, get her a ladder. Quick. Yeah. I mean, he he quickly, yeah. you know, he's like a he's like a parrot for, for Obi-Wan there. Yeah. And uh, we assign Haja as sort of the babysitter. So Obi-Wan asks Haja to keep an eye on Leia. And she climbs into the vent. And she tries to fix the opening of the roof. And tries to find a way out for them. What do you think of Leia stepping up to the plate? I like, you know, the, you trust me, I trust her. I mean, it speaks to how their relationship has evolved. And I think, of course, you know, uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, I think is the actress's name, right? Uh, We should fact check that. Uh, Her reaction to being entrusted with this mission is, is quite charming. And I, it's still, right? I don't think this episode quite knew what to do with Leia from a character standpoint, but it it's earned enough goodwill in the past four yes, episodes. That I agree. It doesn't I bother. It, it, yeah, it made sense. She needs to take a backseat to, to the events. Would it be really interesting what they do with Leia? I, I'm kind of confused by how the next episode will play out. It'll be interesting, but we'll get there by the end. So we find the message from Bail Organa to Obi-Wan. And he sent him uh, 
a message. So I know we've had we said no communication, but your silence worries me. If he's found you, if he's learned of the children, if I don't hear from you soon, I'll head to Tatooine. Owen will need help with the boy. I pray you're safe, Obi Wan. Both of you. Come on, come on, Bale. Like he even says it. Uh, I know he said no communications, but he's getting worried about his daughter now. But we they they didn't have or. I guess the way it all went down so quickly that it wasn't like they have a code set up or anything. He immediately asked Obi-Wan for help because Leia got kidnapped. So this is different than maybe 10 years ago. Obi-Wan, who was working in the Senate and was more of a general. But yeah, this is this is something that's a little sloppy for these two who literally do it differently a bunch of the time when we see them. They don't do this exact same thing. Yeah, I think on a, on a larger level, something I brought up last time that I still don't quite understand is that Vader must know that Bail Organa's daughter was kidnapped. That's the entire, I mean, he must know something about how Reva drew out Obi-Wan. And so even without this transmission, wouldn't it cast some sort of suspicion on Bail Organa being a Jedi sympathizer? Absolutely. Now, th- this transmission reveals the secret of the child. Like, there's no way Vader, or th- I mean, there's no way Vader is going to figure that out. But I still don't, you know, how, it's one thing, how are they going to handle Reva now with this truth, which is going to be a central focus of the final episode? It's another question about what does Vader know? And I, I think the show's just going to ignore that. Like, there's been no scene where Vader None. acknowledges that it's Bail Organa's daughter. None. Although, logically, as how does he not know? Because what did he think was happening at Fortress Inquisitorius? Like, why did Obi-Wan go to Fortress Inquisitorius to rescue the child? Who is the child? Why would he go there? You know, so I... Unless he he's mistaken and just thinks it's another child that's the focus of their, it's just another force sensitive child and he hasn't looked into who it is. Anyway, I think the Bail Organa question has been one of the for me it's something of a plot hole like mm-hmm. that they haven't fully, I haven't created a head cannon for it yet. I'll put it that way. We now see Obi-Wan and Tala. They're actually in the room where we saw him healing in the back of the tank last week. And Tala tells a little bit more about what she's seen and experienced. I was following orders on Garel. The Empire said it was a roundup. People not paying their way, taxes for the cause. They lied. There were four families. They were all Force-sensitive, and we gathered them up. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what the Inquisitors would do. Fourteen people died. Six of them were children. I couldn't do anything to help them. So now I do this. She shows a blaster that she kind of has markings on, like she's kind of keeping a count. One for every one I get through. You're right, Ben. Some things you can't forget, but you can fight to make them better. This was the big Tala moment because, spoiler alert, we've said it a few times, she's going to die a little later on in this episode and get shot. So they gave her a moment, and I love, like, I like... The character, I like the part, the the performance of the character. I like the idea of her, everything about her. It just feels like they it, they got like a B minus out of this when she could have been like a real like A character. Yeah, it, it it's a 
it's interesting character. It's an interesting story. But for me, it was too little too late that mm-hmm. I felt I was being given backstory. And, and then to see her die in a couple scenes, it was kind of like, oh, I mean, my, my feeling watching it the first time is, like, oh, that's why we had that scene. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was literally inserted in there to give some more character motivation. Rather, I just felt her, her development wasn't as organic as it could be. But that, again, is because the show isn't focused on her, right? Yeah. The show is focused on Obi-Wan and Leia and Obi-Wan and Vader and, you know, Reva with all these different moving parts. Um, it's just part of that balancing act that I don't think the show, you know, regardless of how amazing, you know, episode six is, it's it, it was uneven in that regard. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a small... You know, that's a relatively small criticism in the the grand scheme of things. Uh, yep. I think the 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 kind of interesting ways in which the show has been in dialogue with the original trilogy and the prequel, right, will will stay with me far longer than my nitpicks about the plot mechanics and the characterization and pacing and things like that. So Rokin now notices that everyone's in that they're in some serious trouble because just outside where they're holed up reva and the inquisitors and the stormtroopers are close they're about to get through and obi-wan tells them that he wants to talk with the grand inquisitor she started this when she kidnapped leia i'll buy as much time as i can so reva approaches the wall that separates the two of them and obi-wan approaches reva Tells him if he's trying to stall for time It won't work Lord Vader will have you at any cost Without Obi-Wan kind of puts his hand up on the The wall kind of to sense That she's close It's like he's he's using the force there And he and he is now I don't know fully But he is as In, in unison And one with the force At this point than he's been in any Of the five episodes now He's He's got his He's been practicing now He's He's been using it, so you could you could tell he's able to get inside of Reva's mind a little bit at points. And I think even here, they they discuss how she knew who Anakin was. I'm glad that they brought this up, even though it oh, was a yeah. small point, because this had yeah. to be brought up, right? We had to figure this. We had to know why. And Obi-Wan is able to deduce. He was going to – Vader would have kept that hidden. You're too young to have known him unless – the night of order 66 you were a youngling that's how you knew you saw him and now he's sort of playing it all together he's he's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and as he mentions it you can tell this is a this is still a moment and a thought and a memory that's like really difficult for reva because he just brings it up and she tells him stop no yeah. stop it that's enough like uncomfortable that Obi-Wan now knows her secret. Yeah. I think, too, the first time I watched this, it felt so sudden that a character like Reva, who's been so guarded and cryptic, right, in this show, it, you know, there it is, right? The This this plot development that we, we've anticipated about her being a youngling, etc. But it's almost like she's, she wants to confess to she wants to share with Obi-Wan, right? Yeah. It's less that it was elicited from her and more that it's like this release where um she's finally un- unguarded. 
um, I mean, briefly, briefly, she puts the barriers back up by the end of the scene. Um, and it worked. Like I said at the start of the show, I was pulled out of the scene the first time because I was just running through the, uh, run, doing the math. Uh, but the second time, I just find all her lines here are just perfect. I mean, uh, well, we'll get, you know, we'll get to the flashback Order 66 and we thought he was there to help us and just, um, yeah, that, I mean, no, that's where, yeah, that's that's where we are right now. The flashback of young Reva with the other younglings seeing Anakin arrive and he, he strikes them down. It's this scary sequence with poor young Reva looking terrified and confused. She says, we thought he was there to help us. And I because tr- think about it. She's there. All, they're there. The stormtroopers all come in and then. That there are some of the Jedi Masters that are trying to to help fight fight off the stormtroopers, help save them, and then here comes Anakin. They're all oh, okay. Anakin's here to help us, mm-hmm. and they they probably approached him, right? Mm-hmm. Ran up to him, not yeah. even trying to hide from him or avoid him, not even trying to use whatever small force powers they had. They probably yeah. their guard was completely down. Mm-hmm. And you know the these flashbacks are played from a point of view perspective and they're very hazy and they feel like a memory. And I think they're effective that way. But if you take a kind of, you know, take a step back and think what's really happening in that scene, just as you were describing it now, like imagine just watching someone walk in and the children be confused and then just brutally, right. um, Slaughter them as he says. I, and I think, you know, the show, takes this element of episode three that has always been problematic and to some degree like really looks at it head on and and, mm-hmm. and and the consequences of of Anakin's actions and the horror of Anakin's actions which um I don't know I don't think the movies overlook them per se but you know ultimately he is redeemed and that's kind of the story um the story of Anakin Vader in a nutshell, but I think there's ways in which he is, he's created, he's done things that are not redeemable, right? He, he will ultimately make a good decision and a decision born out of love and he'll save his son. Uh, But, you know, I I like the way that the show has addressed some of the horrific elements of, of, of Anakin's character, you know? Now, Reva continues on. I tried to help them, but I couldn't. I was too weak. When he left, I played dead. I hid with the bodies. I felt them go cold. And Obi-Wan's almost in tears at this moment, hearing this from Reva. Reva says they were the only family I knew, and he slaughtered them. Mm -hmm. And this is the line that Obi-Wan realizes. You're not serving him, are you? You're hunting him. Let me help you, Reva asked. Why would I ever trust you? Because we want the same thing. And this is and she she's right because didn't didn't he tell Yoda I can't kill him? I can't do uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And no, this is, see, this is the best line. This is one of the best lines of the show for, to, for me. Like, do we Obi-Wan? Do you really want Anakin dead? And um I think in a way you can also ask, 
Anakin, Vader, do you really want Obi-Wan dead? Like, it's exactly. a weird thing where they both, they the the pursuit, right? Or the, for, for Vader, the pursuit of Obi-Wan is so much what's driving him. Not, mm-hmm. he could have killed Obi-Wan in, in part three. Absolutely. I think the director, the show, the showrunners, the directors know he could have killed uh, Obi-Wan and he made the choice not to do it. And I think Obi-Wan, right, at some, I've heard commentary on episode three where it's like, why didn't Obi-Wan kill him? It's like, because he didn't never wanted to kill him, right? No. It was easier to walk away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was easier to forget or, or to kind of come, like, leave Anakin to the, the lava than really confront what he had to do. And, you know, th- this line gets at this aspect of their relationship and at the... Um, you know, as she goes on, like, where were you when he was killing my friends? He was your Padawan. Yep. Why didn't you stop him? Like, why didn't you save us? Like, it 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 gets at the heart of his of his guilt, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's and it's they're very good. They're good questions to ask, right? <laughs> like, they're great. Those are good notes for for Obi Wan. Like, um, you know, I don't need your help. I don't need anyone. I I just so th- this line, like, going back to this. I I still I still think there are right. It's still hard to justify some of the things that Riva does, but to understand her isolation, despair. I mean, and or to to recognize her isolation, her despair, her trauma, and her kind of us me against the world. Right? She doesn't really have allegiance. I mean, that's the thing. I why I don't understand how she fits into the Empire. Like. No one has ever been there for her. And so she had owes nothing to anyone else. See, I like, and this is what is good about these sometimes, because in talking it out, sometimes I'm, I'm sort of becoming more okay with some of the things that bothered me in just the, 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 the back and forth. So I, I love that. And then yeah. sometimes it's the opposite way, right? Sometimes there are things that you kind of start talking it out and you're like, gosh, that bothers yeah. me more and more. And you go the opposite way. But this scene was, was definitely powerful. Those lines that you hit exactly. Where were you? He was your Padawan. Yeah. And Obi-Wan tells her, you won't stop him alone. She responds, you have no idea what I've done alone. And she thrusts the lightsaber through the walls that separate her and Obi-Wan. She busts through the door, but Obi-Wan is waiting. She's able to force push her back a little bit and buy some of the folks behind him a little bit of time. And the battle begins with the stormtroopers and then the refugees kind of trying to find any sort of safe haven that they can while Leia continues to work on on getting the roof opened up so they can find an escape route. And Obi-Wan and Roken and Tala try to block the blaster shots from the stormtroopers. Obi-Wan's using his lightsaber to deflect all the blast. And so we're seeing we're seeing good Obi-Wan here. He's he's like in 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 nice form right now at the moment the jedi sympathizers all having to retreat back into a smaller safe house and as this is happening we get a quick look just to remind us oh yeah hey leia's still here you know she's up in the uh, she's she's up in the vents right now working on the uh, on getting the roofing there haja is down below she says leia we got to hurry are you not listen are you listening to me i feel like you're not listening to me and <laughs> She uh, just asks him to stop talking He lets her know it's a red breaker So she continues to look So they've they've breached the walls now And things Are the urgency 
has definitely been heightened now with people literally getting shot left and right, and Obi Wan, Broken, Tala kind of doing their best on the front line to be the first line of defense to to have all the women, the children, and everyone else have an opportunity to try to get to safety. Yeah, this scene, this action scene, felt really choppy to me and claustrophobic, and I think. The second feeling cla- claustrophobia kind of works because it's these underground passageways. Like it, it can't have the scope of a large battle. Um, but in some ways, I, I, I don't know. Th- this is part of the the kind of roughness to this episode where you have this very choppy action scene. Then you kind of drop drop the momentum because you cut back to Leia. It worked better on a rewatch like once I kind of understood the episode as a whole but I remember feeling kind of a weird like loss of momentum when we cut back to Leia here um I I think the show has suffered from awkward blocking too and and you'll see it when Tala goes down like it's never it's not totally clear how close Obi-Wan is to her like he seems very close but then he's far away (laughs) that he won't be blown to smithereens so this has happened right in in episode two with with the reva parkour that we didn't quite know where she was in relation to to obi-wan uh, it happened in episode three when uh obi-wan and tala escape vader and it's like but he they're just on the other side of the fire like there's been multiple points in the show it happened in episode four when they're escaping fortress inquisitorious where I never quite know where characters are in relation to each other. And I I don't know if that's on the direction, if it's on the editing, you know, I mean, shows, there's always little weird cuts in a show, in in a show or a movie, but they felt more present. I I don't think I'm being too observant of a viewer. No, you're not. There there was feel. There was noticeable in in the Fortress in in, in Victorious, and it was noticeable here too. Like how far it, it, there was all this weird. So what ends up happening? One woman gets shot. Obi Wan picks her up, tries to t- bring her to safety. Another woman next to Tala gets shot. We see Ned B firing off shots and doing his best to protect Tala, who then gets shot in the stomach. And the numbers are too great for them. But it's it's all in this small little area. We don't. It, you're right. It seems like they're like standing in a living room together. Is what it looks like. It seems like they're within arm's reach of each other, but they're not. In Tala has to give the has to perform the ultimate sacrifice. She has a like a little detonator to a bomb. A thermal detonator. A thermal detonator, and she blasts it. It's one of, another one where like you couldn't have just thrown it a little earlier, or you had to be holding on to it yourself, you know, type thing. Nonetheless, Tala sacrifices herself. Obi Wan and the others escape. I did think the moment the blocking was goofy. I did love Ned B and yeah. what they wanted him to be. This really awesome, cool droid who's going to lay it all down. And Tala and Ned B have a great relationship, but. Yeah, she has to blast the button that opens the doors. She closes herself in there with the troopers, and then she hits the detonator. It's it's fine, right? We get to where we needed to get to. I just think it could have been done a lot better with the specifics that you're mentioning, the blocking. And we this should have felt more for us with Tala. I I just wanted 
I wanted to like her more. Not that I didn't. I liked everything about her character. I wanted to be emotionally involved with her character a little bit more. I think they could have told that that story a little better. But Tala, she uh, she saved Obi Wan and Leia a couple times throughout the series. Yeah, I think you know I I I keep coming back to this issue with with blocking and staging, and part of me is like, is this you know? Well, it's not the same budget as a movie, right? It's a different type of technology. They're filming this in the volume and all that kind of you know behind the scenes stuff. But then the Mandalorian, including Deborah Chow's episodes, I think she she directed the uh, episode three of season one where uh, uh, Din Djarin goes back to rescue the child and then the covert kind of saves the day, right? And they they expose themselves on Navarro. She directed the incredible episode where, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The uh, Ugnaught dies trying to make it back to the ship. I think it's episode seven of season one uh these are not in my notes so someone can no, check yeah, me. Yeah. i'm trying to remember but the point is quill is his name mm-hmm. those, those were really powerful action sequences that were suspenseful and like emotional like you know just a total sucker punch when quill dies and i don't know i just haven't felt the same kind of it, it hasn't the most action scenes in this show haven't clicked with me in the way that I think the Mandalorian, you know, action scenes have. Maybe I'm just being easier on the Mandalorian. Maybe if I no, go back, I don't think I'll so. start picking. It's it's yeah. one of those things where we've we've we know that they can do it with a TV show on that budget. So we're holding them to a little bit higher standard here because we've seen them do it with the Mandalorian. And then there were parts of Book of Boba Fett that didn't seem like they were quite as good. And there have been parts of this that se- seemed like wow, that was movie stuff, and then other parts that just haven't. So I think it's okay to hold them to a higher standard when we 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 got a lot of that with uh, with Mando. Yeah. And yeah, so, so Tala has her moment, and Tala's final words are, may the Force be with you. Gives her life for Obi-Wan and Leia, and we get back in the safe house with Obi-Wan and Roken rejoining Haja and Leia. Leia still working on getting the the roof opened as the Empire has now the Empire officer informs Vader that they have breached the walls and Vader informs him to have them stand down. Kenobi is already ours. So um, another awesome flashback. We go straight from Vader back to Anakin and Obi-Wan in their lightsaber duel And at this point of their battle Anakin has the advantage over Obi-Wan He's actually standing over Obi-Wan who is down to one knee And It's this memory that leads us Right back to Obi-Wan It's sort of like it triggers something from him It He, he remembers And now he wants to use Vader's aggression Against him He knows Anakin He knows his weaknesses They're not physical they're they're mental. They're emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I think you know. I, I think it's there's a a quote in you know uh, in A New Hope. You know, Obi Wan. There are alternatives to fighting. Right. Exactly. He said that to like Han and Luke and and the gang. And 
you really see that that he knows that if he has no weapon, right? If he surrenders, he presents what what Anakin will perceive as weakness, right? Anakin mm-hmm. has the upper hand in this fight. He, in his mind, in this flashback, he's already won, but he can't see. He's not seeing the other. He's not seeing what Obi Wan's seeing. And yep. um, yeah, I, I think it's a great. It, it was certainly for me, I think the flashbacks and how they played out with the story in this episode was the most, in a way, most creatively constructed episode of the whole season. Uh, I really liked episode one. I think the way we talked about how it was organized in threes and three mm-hmm. denials. Um, this episode had such a tight, you know, kind of tight framework for telling its story that despite all the flaws that we've pointed out with with pacing and staging, I think just the concept of 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 Vader like stuck in this Padawan rut that he can't right he he still cannot surpass his old mentor right uh, it, it is such a such a kind of nice touch to the Obi Wan Vader relationship that was always there, but not quite as palpable as it was in this episode. So Obi-Wan lets Roken know, I'm going back. Roken, it's kind of confused. You can't quit. I fought for too long. You can't just throw that away. It won't make a difference. They want all of us. But he corrects them. Vader wants me. Roken tells him that if he surrenders, she died for nothing. He'll keep coming. Obi-Wan responds, that's why I have to stop him. Haja checks in. You're going to fight him? He says he expects me to surrender. He knows I'll do everything I can to protect these people. And he asks Haja to look out for Leia. And as they ask him, how is he going to fight? He hands his blaster and his lightsaber and all of that to Haja. He says there are other ways to fight. So Obi-Wan surrenders. He walks out through the doors and he gives himself up. And the stormtroopers take him right over to Riva, who... Then uh, informs Vader that they have Kenobi, and she tells him that he's going to die soon. Obi-Wan kneels in front of Reva, and he tells her, you're not bringing him to me. I'm bringing him to you. This isn't over yet. There are families back there, children. Are you going to let him do it again, what he did to you? We could end this together. So he proposes a plan to team up with Reva mm-hmm. here. Uh, the enemy of my enemy, right? And uh, that's sort of what he's going for here. Reva asks, which is a good question. What makes you think he won't see it coming? <laughs> well, well, he yeah. does see it coming. We're going to find out shortly. But Obi-Wan says, all he will see is me. He knows how much Anakin wants to beat Obi-Wan to get that revenge, but really to prove he is more powerful. Mm-hmm. As we talked about, he doesn't really want to kill him. Mm-hmm. He does, but he does. He could have just killed him if that's what it's about. It's about proving yeah. himself, mm-hmm. showing I'm better than you. And on the flip side for Obi-Wan, it's when he in, when he interacts with Vader, it's basically like, I want to save everyone else here, but I don't really want to kill Vader. You know, I it's like he he hopes, I think there's a part of him that hopes there's something good in, in Anakin. He has these flashbacks. As much as Anakin is a little shit a lot of the time, right? He was his buddy. That was his friend. They were, like you said, like brothers. The relationship is familial, but 
not a father son, almost like a older brother, younger brother, and you could tell it, it was it was always interesting too because I think in some of our rewatches we've talked about how like Obi Wan is is kind of an ass to Anakin quite a bit. You know, he has to be as like the mentor, and he has to try to teach him lessons, but he's he, he's not quite as like empathetic with him in situations a lot of the time. He tries to teach him in in sort of a hard lesson sense and. Now, Obi-Wan wants to team with Reva. So what do you think about, you know, his his approach to Reva and, um, you know, him trying to plead for uh, for the team up against Vader? Yeah, I think so. The, to add to this conversation, there's two things in this whole plan. If you could say it's a plan that Obi-Wan and Reva hatch that one thing that kind of illuminates <laughs> The plot and another one that was confusing to me. The first is is his statement, I'm bringing him to you. And you, I think you asked or said at the start, right, how is it that Reva's never been around Vader? And I actually think there are clues in the show that she, when she goes on his ship, yeah. she says something to the effect like, of, you know, <laughs> was like, thanks for inviting me on your ship. I don't know, what was the actual like? It's my, it is my great honor to be invited aboard Lord Vader, right? Yeah, You see right. the Inquisitors fight, kind of jockeying for a position about, I gotta call Vader. I gotta mm-hmm. talk to him, right? This was in episode two or, or three. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I think it was episode, uh, or part three. Anyway, so there is a, there are some clues here that, you know, Vader is pretty hands off and he's pretty elusive. And um, I think, you know, in that sense, you know, Obi-Wan saying I'm bringing him to you is quite an opportunity for her. Right. It's quite a offer. Right. Um, the weird thing to me, I still can't make sense of this, is why does Reva. So I guess she's going along with this plan. Right. Why yeah. does she send a surrendered Obi-Wan back into the base. Like I was all geared after that, you know, you're not bringing him to me. I'm bringing him to you. I thought we were about to see a scene where there's a, you know, garrison of stormtroopers, Reva and Vader arrives, but instead (laughs) she sends him in with two stormtroopers into the base, which if, if Vader didn't know, Vader already knew that she was going to betray him. That just seems like a really weird move. And it's it's yet another example of the show doing something where I'm wondering why characters are doing what they're doing. I know. Um, the motivation is not consistent yeah. there. It doesn't yeah. seem that. Because it wasn't, I wasn't even sure then was that like, I guess it's a I guess that was shot. part of them teaming up, right? Yeah, I it, was guess, a, it wasn't a clear acknowledgement that they were teaming up. It was just no, like. There was a small nod where she just sort of like. Yeah, like a little nod, but then she does actually have the stormtroopers take him, so he still is in their control, and he has to get out of it. Which I guess she just assumes that he's going to be able to do. And so, yeah, that uh, that's a little a little bothersome to me too. Um, we get another flashback to the battle on Coruscant, and Obi Wan is back to his feet now. But Anakin, he's still in, in complete control of their back and forth. And Anakin knocks away Obi-Wan's lightsaber. It's kind of standing over him. He's smiling like, like a total jerk, too. Like, gotcha. Like, he's just 
like the bully that that's beating you up and he just took your lunch money and he's like standing over the, and as he's kind of being cocky obi-wan says that your need for victory anakin it blinds you and we then get the perspective of vader arriving in jabim in the safe house reva tells him that she has secured him inside and <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, I don't yeah. know. At uh, least they acknowledged it that she said something to him, or else because it yeah. wouldn't have made any sense that he comes in and then goes right back. Yeah. It was this is what you're talking about with some plot stuff or some some blocking stuff too, and it's just a little bit weird. Um, so Obi Wan has gotten free from the stormtroopers, and now we check back in with little Leia, who is continuing to work on the wiring, trying to get the roof open. And she sees her droid, Lola, who actually tries to like attack her. So Leia finds a restraining bolt on Lola and removes it. That's how Reva was tracking them and how Lola was able to hack into the system in Jabim. And so this is going to help with with help from Leia uh, from Lola. Leia is able to fix the system, and the roof opens, which gives the refugees an a path now, an opportunity. The not the path, a path, the opportunity. Yeah. To escape We're really moving quickly here Cutting back and forth to Leia Then to Obi-Wan And then to Vader As you know, Vader's looking around Trying to, to find Where Obi-Wan is And all he finds Are stormtroopers lying on the floor So He Not happy with Reva And, uh, and the inadequacy of the, of the Inquisitors They just They don't run a, they don't run a good ship Matt, we've been saying it from uh, from early on. So, I mean, and they're disposed. I mean, you know, they're not like a fighting force. They are re- they are instruments that Vader uses. It's very clear, you know, how they're manipulating Riva towards certain ends. Um, it, it it's a very parasitic kind of relationship, very much in the mold of the Sith, right? That the yep. master and apprentice are always you know, in some ways antagonists, antagonistic to one another. And this is, you know, just taking that to an extreme where Reva wants to kill Vader and Vader knows and will kill her. But once he's extracted, her, you know, something useful from her. So Obi-Wan returns and Leia has figured everything out. So they're all set. We've got Roken. We've got Obi-Wan. Sully, who was one of the pilots from part four, they're trying to Get everyone ready to leave Leia notices that Tala is gone Just have a quick little brief Acknowledgement that She's not around And they have to move to the transports There's a sad Leia who's mourning Tala but they get ready to leave And this next scene was one That I think a lot of people really loved And this was like a The type of scenes that people When they think of Vader Really wanted to see mm-hmm. As Vader makes his way over to where the the transports are And this is right where Obi-Wan and Leia and everyone else Have been preparing to leave And we don't see any of them So we assume they're in this ship mm-hmm. That's right in front of us And the ship gets ready to fly off It's out in the air Vader uses the force to pluck this ship Right out of the air He brings it crashing back down he then rips the doors right off. It's so awesome and intense and incredible power from Vader. 
Yeah. Uh, but once he gets in, it's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Nobody's in this first plane. There was a second ship, a transport behind that Obi-Wan was playing on Anakin Vader's over-aggression. He knew that he would go right after the first thing he saw, and instead it bought them a little bit of time to sneak away. Mm-hmm. So what'd you think of uh, of Vader, badass Vader using the Force here? This is an example, I think I said something to this effect in part three also, that with Rogue One, the famous hallway scene in Rogue One, as an audience member, right, it was spectacular and and, and horrifying, but also felt like fan service. Like, here's this Vader that you've imagined. And it never, it doesn't fully make sense for me why he is so... He's so brutal in that scene in a way that he isn't as performatively brutal in A New Hope, right? Which takes place minutes after Rogue One. Whereas here, his brutality, his power is really rooted in his psychology, right? That has been the focus of this episode in his character. And so I, you know, I'm not one, I don't like to see just this kind of ultra violence from Vader without purpose because he's actually pretty restrained in the original trilogy like absolutely he's, not, he's like part of the government like the empire right? right he's part of the government he listens and he takes orders and he doesn't just go completely nuts all the time yeah. and obviously you know the the sequel trilogy definitely powered up the force if you will uh the comics right you, you definitely see vader pull off some incredible feats and there's no reason we can't expand his power, right? You don't need to be conservative and reserved just because of the, you know, the aesthetics and sensibility of some movies from the 70s and 80s. But all this is to say that I like this because it makes sense. It contributes to the story. It's not just gratuitous and not just, you know, a, a, not just a show of power for power's sake. Well, I guess it is, right? It is a show of power on Anakin's part to to try to overcompensate for his insecurities, right? And it's such a like weird way to put it that way. I know. Right? When we're talking about this mass murder, but that's kind of what's It is. <laughs> kind of what's playing, you know, what's playing out in this scene. And so, you know, I was faked out also because I, I had a rewind after I watched the show. I was like, where did that ship come from? I know. It's clearly there, right? Um, it makes, you know, they withhold. It, it it makes sense. I think it's one of those things that I kind of missed it at first, but uh, it's that's kind of clever plotting to me where you never see them board the ship. Like, they've been in, the, like, they had time to plan. There was a whole planning montage um, and so, yeah, some information was withheld for, with, uh, from us, but it was a pretty creative, uh, sleight of hand, I think on the part of the, the showmakers. I believe we get our final of the flashbacks now, as we have Anakin and Obi-Wan at Coruscant, Anakin has the upper hand and Obi-Wan is without his lightsaber as Obi uses his balance to kind of spin off of Anakin and then uses the force to take. The lightsaber from Anakin While he spinned around This is that veteran savvy That we were talking about before Anakin's like the young prospect Who's got all the talent in the world But he he only has one mode You know he he 10 
1 to 10 He's always at a 10 Obi-Wan then turns off the lightsaber And hands it back to Anakin Tells him you're a great warrior Anakin But your need to prove yourself is your undoing Until you overcome it A Padawan you will still be Very Yoda line there He hands the lightsaber back to Anakin And the young Anakin Looks a little disappointed But Obi-Wan does comfort him a bit Puts his hand on his shoulder And uh, we cut back to Vader As if he was just remembering that moment When Master Obi-Wan Got the better of him And Master Obi-Wan Once again outsmarted him There Yeah, There's been a lot I mean before the this show um, Aired About what does it mean to revisit Obi-Wan and Anakin And how do we make sense of that line In A New Hope Like when I left you I was but the learner Now I am the master And I think this episode Brilliantly recontextualized that line Like um, This is the kind of stuff that I love That fills in And and like you said It makes that feel even richer now Yeah Um, And I was You know And I'm still kind of skeptical About the entire project and filling in the gaps. And I don't want Lucasfilm's television strategy to be, where could we find lines in the original trilogy that we make more meaningful? That's not what I want. But that said, like, I think this is a way where they actually found a really creative way to to build these links between Anakin and Attack of the Clones, Anakin in, in, in Revenge of the Sith, who, remember, he slighted because he's, Promoted to the council, but not granted the rank of master, right? He's kind of always deprived of that satisfaction of having, uh, you know, of of not being fully recognized for, you know, in the way that he he thinks he deserves to be. And here where he's trying to to do this show of power to best his his mentor, he's he's outsmarted. And from behind, Riva creeps up trying to kill Vader. But he can sense her She raises her lightsaber But he force throws her And she actually has her saber And he's just using the force to fight her off To push her away He's just toying with her While she is with a lightsaber at full strength Then she busts out the double spinning lightsaber Which he just stops the rotation And then snaps it in two He tosses one lightsaber to her And they battle she is running, she's diving all over the place, and he's just kind of standing there. Yeah. Easily knocks her down, takes away her lightsaber, and asks her, Did you really think I did not? Did you really believe I did not see it, youngling? Mm-hmm. He knew her motivation all along. She's down on her knees, and she's, you know, in front of him. And we get the flashback to the night of Order 66 with Anakin. From her perspective Taking out the younglings And stabbing her Now we don't It's kind of open for interpretation Because they don't show the young Riva Getting really stabbed But they show the older Riva Getting stabbed with the lightsaber And then the same sort of facial Response from a young Riva Looking at Anakin to this Now older Riva looking at Vader mm-hmm. Basically saying This has happened before It's happening again and yeah, that the face, her face as the youngling in seeing this, which we I think saw in this ep- episode two different times, that definitely will stay with me. The mm-hmm. poor young girl just seeing Anakin coming after them. Mm-hmm. I 
So I thought it was a met kind of a metaphor of of those two that memory. And maybe and it is. Being, and maybe it is. It totally melted. could be. Yeah. No, I mean, I think she did see. She probably had a close encounter with him. I don't. I didn't think initially that she was actually stabbed. I agree. It's open to interpretation. I've seen some recaps that are saying she was stabbed again, and maybe she survives because she's stabbed in the same place. I thought I saw it more as if the trauma that Anakin create, like it's almost like reliving mm-hmm. the past was always present with her. Like yep. she was, whether she was actually stabbed or not, like Anakin gutted her and destroyed her life. Multiple and this times. Is just yeah. A more like, you know, direct manifestation of the, you know, trauma he inflicted on her. So I thought that was, you know, in in a positive way, right? Open it open to interpretation. I agree. Yeah. We don't need it. Nobody needs to see a kid getting smashed on screen, yeah. right? Anyways, like nobody wants to see that. But it th- th- this was was a good moment. I thought it was a powerful moment for Riva's character. And then the Grand Inquisitor pops back up. The initial Grand Inquisitor. He's alive. And he says that revenge does wonders for the will to live. Don't you think? Your rage was useful. Now it's tiresome. We will leave you where we found you in the gutter where you belong. So the GI and Vader, they walk off, leaving Riva on the ground, writhing in pain. She's not dead, but she is another one of those moments where they could have very easily just killed her if yeah. they wanted to, but they no. leave her <laughs> yeah. there to struggle um, because Riva's going to pop back up in part six. So finishing up the episode, we get on the ship with the refugees who have been able to escape. Um, Roken lets them know that the hyperdrive is down and they're being chased. But Obi-Wan can sort of sense something is wrong, a disturbance in the force. Reva is still alive, and she actually finds the transmitter that Obi-Wan had given to Haja. uh, Haja, And she she opens it up and she sees the message from Bail Organa to Obi-Wan. About the young boy in Tatooine. So he, she's met Owen. She knows, she knows the Owen. name. The name yep. Owen is in the like. So th- to the show's credit, like there is just enough information for her to kind of put the dots Absolutely. together. I always thought she was going to figure out. I don't know if I said this on the record, but it's in my show notes. I did. I thought at some point in this story, last episode or two episodes ago. No, last episode. That she would discover Leia's identity, and yes. it would she would die with it. Um, I still think. I mean, it's open to interpretation. Like, it's still open for debate whether she will die or not. I think the odds are she will. But um, I did not think, foolishly in retrospect, I did not think Luke would be coming into the picture in the way that uh, he is now. But it makes a lot of sense that. The Luke seed was planted. Obviously, we all knew Luke would be on Tatooine, but that was a core element, right, of episode one. And now we're coming back full circle to his original mission is protecting Luke. And the irony in that (laughs) by protecting, you know, Leia, he's ultimately put Luke in danger, both of them in even graver danger. Um, So it'll be really interesting. I, I don't. I can't quite figure out how this is going to play out. Me neither, and I, I'm I'm excited for that. Like, I don't know what, because now if you're Riva, is she still 
like is she upset with Obi Wan still? Was she is she kind of okay now we're on the team? I'm just gonna go after Vader. What is yeah, what's her where is she yeah. feeling right now? What is she feeling? And with with Luke, you know, we we wonder because he can't really be involved a whole lot. Like this may be a situation where it seems like all along Luke is about to get captured, but he doesn't even know. Right? Mm-hmm. Something something along those lines. I'm I'm very I intrigued. Think he needs to be ignorant of it. I think it would be tough for him to have an encounter with the dark side user. Absolutely. I think so. I mean, yeah. Um, I agree. I think he's got to be so. ignorant of it. And, and we are, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're done with part, part five. We, we see Tatooine young loop sleeping in his bed. And I saw this on a different breakdown somewhere that the way that they played it to end the episode, I thought was really cool because you, you see the, the view of the Lars farm there, the family farm, from where Obi-Wan was kind of spying on him before yeah. when Obi-Wan would sort of park park himself up from a ways away and and, and keep an yeah. eye on Luke and and it's like Obi-Wan has tapped into his use of the force to see if Luke is okay mm-hmm. but but he does it quickly because he knows that Vader can be can get in his head too hmm. and access I hadn't thought about it that way yeah. yeah and I hadn't either until somebody else said it and it and I thought it was really cool because you see like Obi-Wan quickly look and then it's almost like it goes to black. Like he doesn't even want to like access that any further and give Vader an opportunity to look into his head. I don't know if that's the case or if that's what they were trying to do, but I liked I, I liked the idea of that. Somebody said it and yeah, we have Obi-Wan needing to go save Luke. And we have the Grand Inquisitor back with Vader. We are all set up for part six. Where do you think we're headed in part six, Matt? I can't figure out how. So I don't think in my, I don't think there needs to be another Obi-Wan Vader confrontation. I would be perfectly fine if that was their last encounter. But I know that it's not going to be like, I know they're going to have one more encounter that Lucasfilm has billed this as the rematch of the century. If, you know, if there isn't another fight between Vader and Obi-Wan, I think, you know, Twitter would erupt in protest. And unfortunately, I think fan opinion dictates too much of Lucasfilm's decisions around these stories. So all that being said, I think somehow we have to have another Vader Obi-Wan confrontation probably another obi-wan reva confrontation or obi or reva owen you know i mean can't do we get do we get the moment ever well we we have to have right i mean i'm more certain than anything that there's got to be qui-gon or else why the hell were you bringing him up so much i mean i know how much of the general audience knows who qui-gon is i know so um, I think definitely Qui-Gon. I, I can't figure out though, is somehow is Vader gonna be lured? Is he gonna be lured to Tatooine? Here's my my prediction. I don't think ugh, can you take Vader to Tatooine? I don't know, right? I don't either. But if he does, I could imagine Reva. I, I could see a redem a pathway toward redemption for Reva, where Reva saves Luke. Luke, yep. That's gotta and be it, she, right? 
And I think that's where I would put my money. Star Wars being Star Wars is fundamentally an optimistic story. I don't think Reva, she very well could go down in rage, right? I think she will go to Tatooine intending to do harm to Luke. Um, But I do think there is a kind of redemption arc for her and a chance to to give someone something that she was deprived of. Um, I don't know. That's she, where I would put she, my... That's, yeah, me too. That yeah. that's that but, feels like the moment for her to be the one to save Luke. And yeah, we, we just... You know, we're going to come out of this part five with a lot of questions, which is what we want in shows. It's 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 fine when they're predictable and good, but it, it is cool to be very curious like this and not exactly know... Where they're going to go, what direction they're going to finish in with Obi Wan Kenobi. So, give us some of your uh, your final thoughts here, Matt. Put a bow on uh, on part five as we move along to part six. I'm really looking forward, and I hope that the Vader Obi Wan confrontation. I think part of the reason Reva sends Obi Wan inside it, which was not didn't make sense to me. I think they're holding back. Like they couldn't have a confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader here because what needs to be said, right? What we've been waiting to hear, whatever that is, I'm not sure what I'm expecting, I think will come in this episode. Um, And so the way that they weave together the, or how they resolve Obi-Wan and Vader, Obi-Wan and Leia, like, Obi-Wan and Luke there's so many loose threads that almost by necessity have to happen on more than one planet or more than one setting and I just really hope it's a clever uh resolution to these multiple threads um so I can't wait to see what they've come up with we will be talking about it next week with all of you the finale of season one of Obi-Wan Kenobi What's going to happen with Obi-Wan With Darth, with Leia Do we get any more flashbacks Which were awesome, they sort of felt like those particular Set of flashbacks were were done And were finished of that one yeah. Back and forth that they cut up But I I think I liked More as, as many things out of this episode As maybe any of the episodes There were a few things that I'm I'm Going to wait till after part six before I either get upset or say, you know what, I was wrong. That wasn't that that was that ended up fine, and I got a little ahead of myself and thinking that something was going to bother that that didn't really bother that much. So mm-hmm. we'll see how they finish up everything next week. Part six of Obi One Kenobi. We'll have uh, our thoughts on that, and we'll have our overall thoughts on season one. Matt, buddy, thank you so much. I know it's a busy time in your household right now as you uh, await a new. Uh, Velasco on the way but thank you so much For uh, for helping out and I look forward to Finishing up this series with you next week Yeah thanks buddy see you next week Don't go anywhere folks we have a lot More to discuss this is a fandom Heavy episode of that's what G said So you want to Set the mood You're looking for something all natural Soy wax Non-toxic baby Since for every season now don't be afraid, baby, just spell it out. Z-E-R-A-N-O-S.com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm.
Big thanks to Matt for helping us out. Just one more episode in Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 6. We'll be talking about that one next week with Matt. We go from one universe, the Star Wars universe, to the MCU, to the Marvel universe. Tim Kelly joins me for deep dives into episodes 1 and 2 of Miss Marvel. I love this show. I love this show. I'm a sucker for like a teen, high school, college type setting. So anything in this genre, sign me up. Miss Marvel, the deep dive, Tim Kelly joins us. It's time to dive into another Marvel MCU project with Tim Kelly. We've got episodes one and two of Miss Marvel to discuss. And we'll get into our deep dives of episode one and episode two. We got a lot of ground to cover today, so we won't spend as much time sort of setting the scene. But TK got to get some uh, some early thoughts. We're introduced to Kamala Khan. We're introduced to Bruno, uh, Nakia, her mom, her dad, her brother, her family. What would you think of the first two installments of Miss Marvel? Well, I'm really enjoying this so far. Uh, I I was kind of mixed going in. I wasn't sure if I was going to and the trajectory of things. We, we've talked about this a little bit. You know, i had been worried about where Marvel kind of stands right now. It, it's had a really good track record, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen a little bit of shakiness. This came out strong. I thought I this was really it was rich. The characters were all likable, like. Everyone in the cast, even the people who are maybe n- not the uh, protagonists, more the antagonist types, were were likable and like they were fleshed out characters and a beautiful, rich color palette. I mean, so much to to just soak up oh, on the screen. Yeah. Like every time you're, you're, you're every shot uh, was really well thought out and they did something with it. Dynamic camera movement uh, uh, out the wazoo. I, I actually I just really think this was one of the stronger Marvel uh releases in in recent memory it seems to know what it what it is who it is right it sort it's, it sort of like yeah. seems to have an identity you know a couple Stinky. of these other shows and movies we were kind of not sure this show isn't afraid to to just be a, a teen high school show right you know that that's it's 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 as much a superhero show as it is that and I think that's been one of the complaints from people who have said, "Oh, it feels a little corny, a little Disney Channel-y." It's like I don't know. I don't. I. I think. Yeah, it's like it's maybe a little low level, and yeah, it's a sixteen-year-old girl who's obviously mm-hmm. like a sheltered girl, right? She's not out partying and stuff. Her family has kept her very protected, you know. And we're gonna find mm-hmm. out even more why. I, I. I love how and it, but it's not. You know, it's not just a high school show or movie. You. You yeah. can feel. So many influences, obviously things like Scott Pilgrim, you know, with the comic book ties, the way that they they incorporate animation into it, even little things like, I mean, I, I feel Ferris Bueller days, Ferris Ferris Bueller's day off and say by the bell. Like quite often. Oh, absolutely. Both those things. I also see some uh, MCU in there, a little bit of the MCU Spidey and uh, into the Spider-Verse. For sure. Spider-Man, you can feel it. You can even like sense some of the way they're leaning into kind of similar characters. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, Disney animated series like Kim Possible and other ones. You can just – it's cool. It's fun. It's unique. It's creative. And just knowing – I'm, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about Miss Marvel. What's when what's cool about this show is she's one of the newer 
superhero kind of Avengers that got really popular. And if you just think about the story, it's like a more of a new age story. This is a mm-hmm. an ethnic girl from New Jersey who wants to become a superhero. This isn't something that was written in the 50s or the 60s, like some of the other comics that we know that have been around for 20, 30, right. 50 years. This is brand new. And I I really love what Marvel and the MCU, whether or not every every one of these connects and hits a home run, mm-hmm. they are not afraid to take swings, especially in this era of Disney+. Plus. Think about all of these new superheroes or the it's new content we're being introduced to. All of it is, you know, heavily female based, minority based, just things that we may not have seen before. So does it all connect? Yeah. Is everything they do going to be great? No, but they're willing to take chances and, you know, you're going to have some hits, you're going to have some misses, but this is, this <laughs> is really cool. It just feels like a, it feels fun. And I like yes. it. I liked it the first time. I liked it more and more. I think the second and third times back that I've watched this show and just in prepping it, it mm-hmm. really does hold like hold up well. And like I think you hit on something likable. Everybody's yeah. really likable. Her family, like you go through every character, and you know Bruno is great. Her best buddy, who's got a crush yeah. on her, you know, and he's We've seen like, that archetype before too, and it's just done so well here. Yeah, and calling back to. Like uh, 80s comedies, the John Hughes era and whatnot. There's even the, oh, yeah. he looks like Marty McFly in, <laughs> in one of his getups there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. It is. And, and then you've got her her friend who's like like her cousin, like, you know, her, her best friend. And they're mm-hmm. two young girls in a world where girls don't get the same, you know, in, in a world, mm-hmm. in a religion where the women literally have to kneel in the back of the church. Right. Yeah, they address it. They address those uh, disparities uh, in in a sensitive but I think pretty direct way. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's while giving all that representation that you nodded to there that we don't see a lot of. We see a lot of uh, Middle Eastern, Arabic, uh, and Muslim uh, representation in this uh, series so far. That that's something that's pretty rare uh, in this day and age. Uh, in in the United States, at least, uh, and it's uh, something that we're seeing a little bit more of. Uh, Thankfully, representation all across the board. Uh, and th- this series, I got to push back a little bit, too. I know you mentioned earlier uh, some people were saying Disney Channel uh, uh, stuff. I, it, I know this is Disney Plus, literally, but did not feel like that at all to me. No. Like looking at the, the, well, the, the production value, the even acting, the, like the, the every, every of aspect it. of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it, it was honestly just people thought it because it mm-hmm. was sort of it's just sort of. Corny is probably a better way of putting it, right? It's just like a kid. It's sure. more of a kid's show. But I don't, I don't feel that way at all. I thought this was mm-hmm. really, really well done, and it was, yeah, yeah. I, I just that was, I got that as a pushback, and that's what's, that's what's so frustrating is that, you know, with a show like this, because of the reasons we were talking, right? You're gonna mm-hmm. get because it's different, because it's a girl who's ethnic. As the main as the main character, you're going to get a lot of people who are just plain and old fashioned racist, you know, who don't like this sure. or, or who yeah. don't accept it, and who they're and then they're gonna they're gonna find ways to critique it, even if they're not fair. You know, I think we've seen this this get like mm-hmm. review bombed in in mm. other things like that happen, which 
you know, we've seen it in Star Wars uh, on Obi Wan yeah, recently with the, the Reva uh, exactly. character, who I think is bad. Like I love that arc, that whole character so far. I, I know you're covering that on on uh, your yeah. podcast elsewhere. Yeah, but it, it's the same type of a backlash, uh, I think, and it's unwarranted it in both it, cases because I think so, it's pretty badass. It, I mean, and it's like, dude, you and I are two white guys here. It's like I roll my <laughs> eyes at this crap. You know what I mean? It's like, come yeah. on, you know, come on, people. Like, it, it, this story with Miss Marvel is is fun it's a it's a coming of age story that everybody can right. relate to it's just yeah. it's relatable where we've all been 16 and awkward and at some point you know it, you're dealing with the stuff with her family not letting her go mm-hmm. out who who hasn't been there when their parents are not are like you know coming down too hard on them you can't go yeah. here you got to try to fib and lie about where you're going you know you right you you're in the locker room and you look around and the girls next to you and the guy or the guys next to you are bigger, stronger. They've got boobs or whatever. And you don't, you know, you're just like, this is, this is a totally relatable story. And I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the family, I love the family. Her brother seems like so cool. Amir, you know, he's sort of fun with her. He wants to help. Even her brother's fiance is great. Like she's sharp. She realizes in there, she picks up, she picks things. up on yeah. things right away. She's she's kind of joking with the dad about Bon Jovi, you know. And Yusuf, the father, he is yeah. he's so like genuine. I, like the word I want to say is cute. You can't even. He's just he's like happy. Yeah. He he's so excited to be here in this country to give his family a chance. You know to to like you said to do whatever they want. But then his mm-hmm. mom chimes in, well, almost whatever they want. And that's how she is, right? She's the protective mom. But we know she almost reminds me of Kate Bishop's mom. We know she's hiding something. We know right. that she, yeah. she knows <laughs> right. more. And I don't know what she's hiding, right? I don't know. I'm not saying she's bad or she's done bad mm-hmm. stuff. But she's she knows more about their family lineage. It feels like she knows that there's some powers in their history. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to keep that from Kamala. And it's 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 simple, it's basic, but it mm-hmm. all works. Like because we all we've we've all known it and we have all experienced it. Right. And like you touched on before, it's like a contemporary version of uh, that kind of basic archetypal story, you know, that coming of age, uh, the, you know, teen drama, uh, th- those John Hughes uh, type stories that we talked about before. I mean, she literally pulls the Ferris Bueller at one point. Uh, and, and it feels <laughs> and we've seen it before, but it's fresh. It's yeah. unique and fresh because it's this is stuff happening with young 16 year old girls dealing with like religion and culture and pressures mm-hmm. and they're the, you know the stuff that's happening is like at a festival at a mosque that's just like a location that we don't see right we're not right. we're not like, i can't we're we're we, and, but it feels like a carnival that you would see at any normal church you know it's mm-hmm. the same sort of thing but it's just slightly different and it feels mm-hmm. different and it feels unique and i really like what they've done through these first two episodes of Miss Marvel. We're going to get into both of them and we'll uh we'll start right off the top where we're introduced to our main character, TK Kamala Khan. She and yes. she is a huge fan of the Avengers. She's us basically. Yes. <laughs> she is she opens up this the show and the series like 
posting her YouTube video. She's uploading her YouTube yeah. video. She's basically and, and they joke like she's new rock stars, you know. Right. She's got this video of like clip, but it's you know, like a 16-year-old would do it. There's a lot of clip art, there's stuff that she's drawn that she will sort of film and use in in, in the video that she made. But you could tell right away she's super creative and super funny. She draws a mm. lot, she's really into art, which I think helps kind of helps play into her superpower. You know, yeah, she it's like imagination create, based. Exactly. Yeah. And she can sort of like she kind of calls upon her feelings and what she wants. And and and, it, and she's able to uh, to kind of project it out. So mm-hmm. this is fun. She posted her YouTube uh, channel and sort of like this little this little storyboards there. And she's she's running through it. Finally, the moment everyone was been waiting for the final chapter of my 10 part series on Earth's mightiest hero, Captain Marvel. So she loves Captain Marvel. She's sort of obsessed with Captain Marvel. Everyone's got, you know, their favorite and and this is her favorite because I think mm-hmm. it I think because she knows so little about her. She's kind of interested. It feels like she wants to know more and more. And um yeah. She she continues on like narrating her video. This week we're focusing on the Battle of Earth. We all know the story. The Avengers were trying to save the world, but if we're being honest, they were losing badly. Alien ships invading, Thanos being a jerk about magical stones. Our heroes were done for until Captain Marvel blasted in. Who was this well uh, coiffed hero? Due to my research and di- <laughs> uh, diligent studying of Scott Lang's podcast. Okay, so Scott Lang yeah. has a podcast that uh. Apparently is called Big Me Little Me <laughs> And, and uh, <laughs> this is how It seems like a lot of information About the Avengers Gets out so now At least it sort of makes sense there's a lot of things that we've asked Yeah how do the regular people know that Well they're listening to yeah. Scott Lang's podcast That's how you know it's Gotta be the one of the apparently, most downloaded <laughs> And there's a, a, Greengrass, a Paul Greengrass Documentary apparently too I don't, yeah. I don't, It was referenced in an earlier one The Snap it's called but I didn't realize I think uh, Eric, New Rockstars pointed that out It's a Paul Greengrass directed it Who did um, what's that uh, uh, That 9-11 movie And yeah. some other uh, like historical yeah. uh, That's films. funny So she yeah She just continues narrating her video She mentions Captain Marvel And no offense to any of the other Avengers I don't think they could have done that you know and uh, sometimes someone can come out of nowhere and do something amazing. I know you think she abandoned the people of Earth, but look, it's not true. We uh, we don't know what she's been up to. Maybe she needed a break. Can a woman just live? Anyways, maybe we'll learn something new at AvengerCon this week. So that's that's sort of the the game plan for episode one. She's got to get to AvengerCon. There's this convention coming up, and it's just when we see it, it's it's kind of just like a souped up Comic Con. Yeah. Convention Literally. that anyone's been to there. It seems like a little bit more than that. Like it's really cool, and there's a lot of, of like a lot of events, and there's a lot of almost like mm-hmm. rides. It sort of does look a little bit more like a theme park, but it's very it's it's very well done. It's fun, and this is coming to New Jersey, coming to where she is uh, before she leaves. Got to give the plug. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Sloth Baby Productions. Not a ton of uh, views. For poor Kamala and uh, mom interrupts her as she's got the driving test coming soon. But what'd you think of our first introduction to Kamala? We get the MCU intro, we get the Marvel Studios title, and then we've got the weekend blinding light playing as uh, as yeah. she's talking through her video. 
it, uh, it was great, honestly. Instantly engaging and, uh, like we touched on earlier, uh, likable. She was born to play this character, Iman Vellani was. Uh, and uh, she's just so immediately engaging. And I, I love the way that they introduced the character. It tells you so much about her, just the fact that she's she's the one telling the story of the Avengers and putting it out uh, on, on a YouTube video that she's a YouTuber. I mean, they're really... Uh, they're really, you know, trying to pat us on the back uh, here for this. They're really trying to appeal to us I know, uh, right. here w- w- with that sort of thing. They're like putting us on screen. Um, like, I-, I think Eric Voss, again, to quote him, was like, I feel seen on yeah. this video. He's great. But, so, so great. Yeah. But I, uh, I absolutely loved it. It reminded me of the Spider-Man uh, exactly. openings, too. And Which I, I love her art what style. If. Remember mm-hmm. in What If they made yes. they sort of uh, the zombie thing. It was I, I love that, yeah. too. It's you can do it's a, it's an easy fun different way of just having exposition right instead oh, of just having a character come in and and talk for 3 minutes on camera this is so much more fun and you can get a lot across in just yeah. a little bit telling stories like this the one thing i'll notice about this show in the first two episodes is it does not stop moving and I don't mean mm-hmm. that in like a bad way. It just doesn't. There, it doesn't take a whole lot of time in between scenes. It's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It, it continues at a pace from one to the next, really, really quickly. It's like you're watching her constantly walking, moving, you know. And then as she kind of mm-hmm. gets into different places, there's all sorts of cool animation in the background. When she has ideas, a light bulb pops up. When they text, you'll see yeah. like the text kind of. In the background of the screen in like different patterns based on where they are and locations It's just super creative stuff and really really well done And she walks downstairs as she has to get ready for a driving test So she's talking with mom Muniba and dad Yusuf and then uh, her brother Amir who's down there And so this is like a totally normal family interaction They're sort of joking with her before she goes to take her driving test Man, you know, he says the road is a long and a winding one, so never fully stop at stop signs. And they they're all kind of joking with her. And the mom says, "You got to look in the mirror uh, every time." And Dad <laughs> says, "No, you don't have to look in the mirror that much." And her brother says, "Remember to say Bismillah before you start the car. You're gonna need all the help you can get." So <laughs> it's a total like normal family interaction. But what's cool is that you're just hearing like. You're hearing different words, different terms that mm-hmm. you just wouldn't have heard before, like the names that she calls her mom and dad or, you know, talking about yeah. um, b- like little prayers to say instead of like, you know, thank God or come on, God, you know, like what, what someone might say before something like that. It's it just like you said, it feels fresh, different. Yeah. Yeah, it seems authentic. It's got, uh, you know, elements of the, the, that culture just permeating throughout. Uh, and, uh, and that helps make, you know, the things that are kind of archetypical, uh, seem, uh, you know, fresh and new to us from our perspective, at least. <laughs> so she sits down with the driver, uh, driving instructor for her driver's test and she looks in the mirror. She's wearing her Carol Danvers aviators cause she's a huge, yeah. huge Captain Marvel fan. So, I mean, we got to say right here before we go any longer, I mean, I've I've already made a large wager, Tim, on uh, <laughs> the Captain Marvel cameo in this series. So if she doesn't show uh, up by episode six, uh, we're gonna probably have to move 
you know, uh, yeah. where we are. We're going to have to relocate. So I'm, <laughs> I'm expecting that she's going to be here by uh, by episode six. They're just they've laid it out so thick with how she's such a fan of her that I think it's inevitable that uh, that we get her showing up and, and we'll we'll get the team up most likely in, I think, the Marvels, which is uh, the movie where well, they'll I think the th- we're Captain Marvel. We're uh, Miss mm-hmm. Marvel, and I believe uh, um, Monica Rambo. Monica Rambo. Yeah, we'll yeah. all be sort of teaming up. So that's uh, that's in the future. We'll see what will come in the next few episodes. But she she gets set for uh, for her driving test, and she kind of says under her breath, like, "Okay, Bismillah." Then she slams on the <laughs> gas pedal and flies back in reverse. Yeah. She, she nails the car behind her, and I love that she kind of sneaky looks over to the instructor and is like. I don't think anybody saw, you know, like we're good. He's like, that's my yeah. call. That's my yeah. call. So, uh, worst case scenario. <laughs> you know, she nails his car. So mom and dad have to come in uh, and pick her up before that. We get the Miss Marvel title and mm-hmm. um, mom and dad are talking with the instructor there and she can't pass her driver's test, unfortunately, and the car is ruined. So they have to, uh, they, they're going to have to deal with, uh, with the instructor's car. But as mom and dad drive her back home, we kind of see her in the background, and she we already know, noticed with her that she's a daydreamer. You know, she mm-hmm. she's creative. She's she has a tough time kind of being in the moment because she's always thinking about what she wants, what could have happened, what could be. She wants to be a superhero, and she can't really focus even when people are having simple conversations with her, like her mom and dad are talking. To her right now and in the background She's uh she's watching What's going on outside and there's like It's sort of like Starsky and Hutch Too uh, it reminds me there's like It's like real and then all of a sudden this like little Animated like bird will come out of nowhere And like fly yeah. like fly you know And it, uh it's just what, what's happening here With just really fun really cool Visuals mm-hmm. now Her mom says something Kind of it feels like it's in passing because it's like kind of in the background while she says it, but I think some really important stuff. Um, she says, I, "This is my fault. These are my genetics. I come from a yeah. long line of fantasizing, unrealistic daydreamers. My mother was one. So, just not something kind of small and simple. But we, yeah, we know in watching Kamala's mother through the first two episodes, she." Knows something about her family About what her mother and her grandmother Have been through About some of the powers they may have Or have the ability to unlock And she noticeably seems like Mm -hmm. She doesn't want that That you know that brought disrespect On her family And there are little hints That she drops through these couple episodes Even little looks while conversations Are being had that you know I, I think they're doing a really good job of Is she going to end up being someone that was holding her back or really was was really protecting her? Are we going to find out that, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the people that we've been introduced to are actually trying to hurt Kamala, trying to hurt? I keep saying because of Kamala Harris, I keep doing this. I keep going like Kamala (laughs) and Kamala back and forth. So I'm probably doing that 50, 50 times. But um, nonetheless, I, I like what they're doing with with her mom because there's some shades of gray there. Yeah, and it is that um, Eleanor Bishop dynamic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get the sense though that the the, the mother is sincere in, in looking out for 
Kamala. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that maybe she just has a misplaced um, distrust of her, you know, her own family line- lineage. Uh, but the, the foreshadowing they're doing here is it's very clear there there's more to her family lineage uh, than she's, you know, letting on. And, um, you know, as, as we have already seen, there's some kind of power unlocked in there. And that, that just raises the question, you know, just because we know from comics and here and there already in the MCU mutants uh, in humans, is this Cree connection? What, what, what are we dealing with here? What is the source of this power? They've also um, mentioned, I think the gin, I want to say in this. Uh, so do the gin and the mythology behind that tie into the powers? Uh, and does that actually tie into any of the uh, other aforementioned uh you know, groups that I mentioned. So we're at Cole's high school now, and um, Kamala awkwardly trying to get into her locker. She walks in, she's all bummed out because she, you know, failed her her driver's test. Bruno, her best friend, shows up in the hallway with a Slurpee. We could tell he's a a bright, a bright part of this show. And like, you love Bruno right off the bat. He's he's great. Uh, He tries to make her feel better. Plenty of people fail the driver's test. Don't worry. She says, I crashed my car into his car. And she's, <laughs> yeah. he goes, oh, yeah, that, that's on you. Um, <laughs> they start talking about Avengers Con and trying to plan things out. She's she's excited because there's a cosplay competition for Carol Danvers. And she just is trying to f- put the finishing touches on her costume. And uh, then we're introduced to Nakia, their other friend. Uh, Nakia and Bruno were, were joking and betting on how – Kamala was going to do on her driving test uh, So uh, they, they have an inside joke about that there And mm-hmm. then we're introduced to Zoe Who's the really cool girl at school She's insta-famous She's got a ton of Instagram followers Everybody loves her She's the pretty blonde And it seems like they all sort of used to be friends I think when they mm-hmm. were younger It sounds like Zoe's mom used to take them around It feels like they're all into the Avengers But now Zoe's become a little too cool to to hang mm-hmm. out with them, which is uh, you know, something similar that we will see in a lot of uh, high school sort of kids shows and movies. Oh, yeah, and you, you it, have the it's an authentic gets, it's yeah. an authentic thing. Like I, I've seen that in real life. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't come off like a bully force, really, right? She's not like mean mm-hmm. or evil. She yeah. just is. She's kind of just outgrown them a little bit. It feels like, and she's apart. not. Yeah. yeah, and she's not quite. The one thing I think they do a great job with um, with Kamala, she is so awkward, right? She she even feels yeah. young for sixteen. Like I'm thinking about what I was doing when I was sixteen and stuff. Like she takes the one sip of the alcohol, she spits it out. She's like, oh my gosh, gross. I was like, I'm a, I'm sitting there. I was a little different having a sip of the alcohol. Let's just say that my reaction <laughs> might have been different at that point. And she's she's, she's sheltered <laughs> she, for sure. And 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 it, but it makes sense, right? Because you see mm-hmm. how her family is and what her family. Oh, yeah. Is willing to let her do and and some of the people that she hangs around and what she's into and and Zoe's obviously like more of a sixteen year old girl probably dating twenty year olds you know like that's just they're just living right. in different worlds right now she's like an uh, an influencer it seems too <laughs> no, right, right absolutely she's got like eighty thousand followers you know tons yeah. and she uh so <laughs> over the PA we're introduced to Mr Wilson who is I think he's like the college counselor. For them, yeah, like a and, guidance counselor, yeah, yeah, and he's so he's funny, man. He's really goofy. Yeah. He, he calls uh, Kamala in. Please come to my office. You've done something wrong. 
just kidding. <laughs> it's crazy that the whole school could hear this. No, nothing is wrong. I just want to chat. Can't wait. P.S. This is Mr. Wilson. <laughs> and so she goes into I liked him a lot, too. Me I too. thought he was even funnier in the second episode. Me, too. Because I caught on a couple more of the things that he was saying the second time mm-hmm. through. Just, like, his, his exact verbiage yeah. and stuff. And it was just really funny, really dorky. He... Says, okay, uh, Kamal, I've heard you've had a, a, cup, a hectic couple weeks. And we see quick flashes of her getting hit in the face with a ball during PE, a science experiment going wrong, her mm-hmm. kind of like a mean cartoonish uh, sketch of a, of a teacher, which actually is very well done, but sort of like a yeah. kind, of, kind of mean. And Mr. Let's Wilson, also talk, uh, that kind of ties into the, the shot that we just saw. I, I don't want to go too far ahead, no, go ahead without please. mentioning that, because that, that one shot that, uh, down the hallway, uh, they kind of replay it in the second episode, too, in, 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 in an alternative fashion. But uh, it's so good at just introducing her dynamic in the space. Like, you could just see how kind of she shrinks into herself. Uh, yep. She's she's kind of enveloped by the, the environment, uh and she she lets it you know collapse around her almost. Uh, uh, she can't get into her locker. Just the way she can't navigate the space, it it tells you so much about the her the character and her dynamic uh, within that world, uh, and also the other characters within that world that that you know we just talked about. So I just love the the way that they did that. I thought there was so much care to the way that they introduced the characters uh, and introduced the world there, and also that it it was one of those things that I could probably. If I thought really hard about it, you know, name at least one or two movies that have done the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but in this, it, again, it's just the way that they did it this time that felt fresh and, and new, but, you know, familiar at the same time. And I know we say that a lot about the, uh, the MCU. I feel like every podcast, that idea kind of comes up, that fr- that familiar but fresh dynamic, because that's just what they're always playing with. They're adapting yeah. stuff that we've seen on you know in the comic books to the screen so there is going to be that familiarity regardless whether it's from you know alternative properties or you know even just the the marvel comics themselves mr wilson uh, can sense her already losing focus he says hey we started this meeting 30 seconds ago come on you know right. uh, said let's talk about you junior year it's time to start thinking about your future college admissions sats essays applications do you volunteer? Because college admissions eat that up. I mean, of course, do it to help people too. But I mean, you know, it helps. It it does help. Oh no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to scare you, right? He's kind of going through, and and she is like, oh no, do I have to have my whole future figured out before lunch? Um, he says no, but I'm gonna give you a task. Go home, look at yourself in the mirror, and ask Kamala, who is that girl I see staring straight back at me? <laughs> she says. You're studying lyrics from Mulan. And he says, I am. I am. This is like my method of teaching, you know, just <laughs> just give them the lyrics. And we yeah. get a split screen of their two faces. And I thought this is just really well done. You get it's like, you know, two face here real quickly as he says, just who is Kamala? Is she there? Where is Kamala? Nobody knows. But I need you to pull yourself together and join reality. So. That's what she's going to be dealing with here. You know, is she live in kind of an outer space or is she able to, you know, dig her feet into the uh, into the real world here is. Yeah. Echoed later in the episode with the discussion with her mom and, and you know, the final 
line that she says in her bed, uh, cosmic. Uh, so I, I love that. Uh, just re- uh, looking at it now after seeing the episode in its entirety, uh, that line just rings uh, as so much more um, important. Okay, so now we have the friends uh, trying to plan things out. We have Bruno and Kamala trying to plan out how to get to AvengerCon because now they you know she didn't get her license. So the backup plan, <laughs> Bruno talks about how it's going to take a lot of finesse and subtlety. And she goes, I can be subtle. And he, he disagrees. He says, all you need to do is sit down at the dinner table, smile, and ask your mom. Bruno has a really good relationship with the family. Like, they text each other. It seems like um, Kamala's mm-hmm. mom and dad really like him. And she is she's just scared and, and nervous. And I, I heard on a different show, I thought a really cool um, – just said it's he said specifically and he wasn't someone who knew how this particular family would work but he i think he was coming from like an asian background and he said mm. specifically i can tell you that i have dealt with this exactly because you don't go ask and then just quickly get like told no and that's it you ask and it becomes like a thing just for asking just to mm. ask to go do this It's like huh And then they start to it, be, it becomes more than just a no you can't do this one time thing Right And so I thought that was really Why refreshing Why would you even want to Yeah <laughs> oh, man. Because to see how terrified she is to ask Because it's almost like mm. she doesn't She wants to kind of hide You know this right. and not and not even bring to attention So I thought that was was Really cool in, in hearing Because like you know, Amir kind of says, just go ask, you know, and Bruno's kind of saying, just go ask yeah. for her. She I think she's kind of she really wants to hide how much she's into this world and how much she likes mm-hmm. this. But it it was cool. And she even, you know, gets uh, Bruno even has a Darth Vader reference. Can we stop <laughs> acting like your mom is Darth Vader? So they're they're on their bikes and. They talk it out, and as they're talking out their plan, we get these animated, like, cartoon graphics that link yeah. to the topics and, like, the characters that they're discussing. It's really fun. It's another video that's sort of exactly like Scott Pilgrim style. It's yes. like a very, very Edgar Wright of yeah. this, and it's really, really cool. And, you know, in, in this, we, we then see Bruno, who's got some great tech. He... You know, he actually is able to like look into some of her powers throughout that we're gonna we're gonna find out in a little bit. And that's what's so great about Bruno is like he's a he's a mini Tony Stark. You know, he's <laughs> he's a genius who can help her out and he's working on her costumes right now initially. So And that's how she sees him in uh her imagination when when they're going to the con, he's dressed up as Tony Stark. Yes, but that's a great in, way. In actuality, he's dressed up as Bruce Banner. Who's yeah. just a regular guy He's not even dressed up as the Hulk He's dressed up as Bruce Banner Who's just a regular guy um, So I, I thought that was kind of interesting Of like how she sees him Versus how he sees himself Then uh, Kamala heads back home Watching TV It's kind of funny Felicity uh, is on TV Which is one thing that people Have been trying to find out Like why is she watching Felicity It's like <laughs> yeah. a weird Is there something more to that and The finale too Of season yeah. one When she cuts her hair It was like a famous thing I think Like she cut her yeah. hair yeah, Which, that, you know, she was famous for that big curly uh, hair, uh, and then she she cut it, and it was just there was like backlash for it. But I I think that was also probably 
something that was kind of symbolic of coming of age. Coming of age, and there's like a love triangle, you know? I think, throughout a mm. lot of the, the show, too, which we're, we're starting to get, getting through these first couple episodes. And I love the way the camera kind of pans around as Kamala gets up. So it's like upside down. It does like a full, like yeah. a full circle. And she's looking at a box of items, which are like family stuff that was sent here. Her mom tells her that uh, stuff that their grandma sent. She said she doesn't want to die before passing on all her junk to us. That <laughs> thought was like a funny, funny line. So uh, Kamala finds an old bangle, and it's an armband, and it has kind of has some ten rings feels to it too, right? The look, like we're talking yeah. different cultures, but it definitely you could definitely get a feel for that in. in you know the Ten Rings being one of the more recent projects, and it's something that her mom sees and takes from her quickly. This is another one of those little yeah. signs where it's like <laughs> her mom doesn't want to happen. Like there's yeah, something yeah. more to this, but we don't really think much more of it. And you know Kamala and her mom continue running errands. Kamala constantly losing focus throughout, trying on a dress for the wedding. Her brother is getting married. So this is what their family is preparing for right now is getting everything ready for the ceremony and families showing up. Aunt Ruby shows up to help them as they're doing dress shopping. I mean, this felt like a really authentic mom and aunt with the daughter doing dress shopping. And they're like, oh, no, you're too short for that. That doesn't fit your body. Right. Like, (laughs) nah, you need to get it. Just I don't even know how this goes, you know, because I'm, I'm like, I haven't been through this really. My dad, you know. I, I like my mom maybe would have done this, but my dad, if I, this was me, would have been just like, oh, yep, that looks good. We're good. Let's go. Get out of here. We got it. Suit. Yeah. Good. Good. Like, okay. But uh, I, I thought again, like little things like that that just sort of feel real. This did yeah. feel like Hawkeye in a lot of those things where it's like I like this main character instantly, and I'm really relating to what's going on with her and her family, like like we were with Kate and sort of a lot of the stuff happening in her life. Yeah, and a lot of parallels between her and Kate Bishop. Uh, I mean, um, just the the mother daughter dynamic there, uh, the the suspicion around the mother, and also the the hero worship around a specific Avenger. Yeah, uh, so I and sort of like a lesser tier yeah. Avenger, right? Right, not like, right. More not of a Iron Man one. or yeah. Yeah, or or like you know uh, Steve Rogers, who everyone would have been into. It's Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. who's one of the more maligned ones, you know, or one of the yeah. more kind of criticized ones. And Hawkeye, who people who it's kind of the running joke. So yeah. she um, uh, Kamala sort of awkwardly chimes in when her mom and her aunt are talking mm-hmm. about one of their family members who decided to break off an engagement and to go travel the world. And it's just it's Cool to see the generational difference here as the young girl is like, wow, that's cool for her. You mean she didn't get forced into some marriage that she didn't want to be in and and have to just be, you know, that was her life. And her mom and her aunt are like, shut up. You know, like, what is she? I love love the guy, the tailor is like, he says, oh, she's trouble this one. You know, like he, (laughs) he chimes in and it's pretty funny. It's it made me chuckle, especially on the the second time. But uh, just all real, real interactions. Now they're back at her parents' house, and Bruno's there with her dad. And Bruno and Yusef are playing with this Zuzu, which is basically an Alexa device that Bruno has created. It's like, uh, it's a basically, it connects all the devices, and he added in some new features. So all you have to do is say Zuzu and tell it what you want to do. 
So Bruno sets it all up and shows Yusuf. So, I mean, this is really funny. And the dad, <laughs> Yusuf, is so excited. This is like the <laughs> yeah. first time he's turned on a light switch. He's so freaking pumped. And even in a few minutes after Bruno leaves, he keeps telling the mom, Oh, look, look at this, you know, look at this. Like, you know, he's like showing her and he's so, he's so pumped up about it. So I, like, I love that sequence when they come yeah. back in, Kamala's mom asks Bruno if he's going to stay for dinner. He has to uh, leave, but she quickly packs him some food. When I say quickly, I'm talking 10 <laughs> seconds. Like she's got some powers or something, right? Yeah. This, this couldn't have been a, like a, a joke. They were. I think it was like, uh oh, she might have messed up and not realized that she she used her powers to get all this, you know. <laughs> but the, these are little things that I all really really like. Like they just kind of make you smile when you're yeah. watching the show. And it's another uh, kind of Scott Pilgrim thing too. That's something is. that you would see in Scott Pilgrim. Like I'll just throw something behind uh, in, in, into the trash, like you, and you it'll hear just it like hit perfectly, and then it's like, oh, yeah. here's the the food is ready. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just geeking out through a lot of this because it's very fun and it and it just reminds you it makes you feel like you're kind of 16 again in in their um in their place again so um uh, okay so now kamala and uh kamala is getting ready to just ask her parents right she says mm-hmm. i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna ask her Okay, so there's this thing called AvengerCon, and she's just not confident at all, right? This is not how you'd want to go up and give a speech. You got to go up there, right. you got to have your opening, you got to be strong, you got to have your commentary, your concrete details ready. She goes up there, body language is bad, she's nervous. <laughs> so there's this thing, AvengerCon, you know, it's, it's really something incredible. I did like how she tried to make it historical, though. That was that was. Yeah. It's never been done before. It's like the first <laughs> fan event. It's celebrating our great heroes of our time. It's totally historic and it's very educational. And you know, like Bruno, he's really into this stuff. So he just asked me if I want to tag along, just because so he's not alone, you know. Because poor Bruno, you know, he doesn't have much of a family. And, and then mm. uh, her mom just says, "So you want to go to a party at night?" <laughs> that that's all her mom heard. And yeah. She says, is this a joke? Is Bruno recording this for the internet? And which made me just chuckle again. And she said, no, I'm not 16. No, I'm 16. I promise I don't do any, I I won't do anything stupid. You do trust me, right? (laughs) And her mom says, no, I don't. (laughs) And her dad goes, of course, come on. She trusts you. (laughs) Mom says, no, I don't. I don't trust you. And her dad comes back in again. She trusts you. We just. We don't trust anyone else. That's exactly what my mom has said to me for years about like driving, you know, and I trust you, Gino. I just don't trust everyone else out there. You know, it's just, I, I hear it. It, it made, it made yeah. me laugh again. Cause it felt like that's something that we've all heard over and over. She mm. just this battle back and forth with them. The, they ask how she's going to be dressed. Does Captain Marvel, her mom goes, Oh, Captain Marvel in a very <laughs> tight suit. It's not that tight, mom. It's not like I'm it's asking really to not. go to a party and do cocaine. And then her parents are like, what? It's like, no, that was the wrong thing to say. Don't say don't cocaine. Mention, don't, don't mention that. Don't put that in their brain. <laughs> like, never mention. It's not like, oh, I should, know. That's just something that you shouldn't even. Yeah. yeah. You, sh- you shouldn't even know that word like in their minds. Like exactly. it's, it's, what? it's scary you're, to them that she even knows about cocaine. Doing cocaine. You know, that's what, it was yeah. just funny sequence and her brother Amir is standing there like 
oh god this is not good you know you're just watching this all go down too like yeah it was it was it's painful it was painful <laughs> it went about as bad as you could you could possibly imagine she runs up to a room upset and her brother's really cool though he he brings her up some tea to talk and and he yeah. just seems like a really nice dude he said look that was a bold move not very well thought out but i respect you for trying yeah. he says look i'll talk to them and he says yeah i mean you look kind of pathetic <laughs> so she thanks her bro and he i think this is going to be my new nickname for you tiny k this is what he calls <laughs> he says <laughs> she called he calls her uh kamala tiny k he says you want me to turn the lights off or are you still afraid of the gin she says no sure. i'm not 12 and then he throws one of her stuffed animals at her and says, this says that you're 12, <laughs> you know? And, sure. uh, so their relationship seems really good and genuine and like, everything with her family seems great. Like y- you understand them all and where they're coming from, like right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the brother is, is very, you know, he's got that brother energy. He's just protective of her and he's looking out for her and he's got that energy of like, he's been there before. Uh, and he's, he, he knows like the little things that are going to set his parents off and like how to navigate that relationship a little bit better. He, he's had the experience and the time away from the house. And he's also got the, he's, he's a man too. So it's a little bit of a different, uh, gender dynamics within the culture and within the family there. Uh, so he maybe has it a little bit easier and, and can kind of sympathize and empathize with her. Um, but, uh, uh, she just handles everything the wrong way in the in the scene before that, and that's why she's she is kind of where she is. But I also love how there's like two examples in this scene of you know uh, Arabic culture. Uh, there's there you mentioned tea. It's specifically chai, uh, yeah. and then uh, later on uh, the gin, which we mentioned before. But that's got to be something that you know could be brought up in. Uh, if not this series, got to be brought up down the road as introducing the jinn mythology. It's mm-hmm. such a big part of of uh, Egyptian culture and uh, uh, Arabic culture. Um, uh, I've talked to people in Iran that like just asked me if I believed in in a jinn before. Uh, so that's like something that's literally persists till this day uh, as something that's you know in the zeitgeist uh, out there and uh, as part of the historical culture of that region and. Uh, just like we've incorporated like Norse mythology and uh, the things we've done uh, or, or seen with um, Moon Knight and Egyptian mythology, like there's so much more to tap into. And, and you know, in the real world uh, mythology, you know, that 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 we have in our history, um, now obviously not like literal real world, but like stuff that we, it's just mythology in our world. Seeing that integrated into the MCU is always like really fun. Just the way that historical fiction is always fun and integrated into the MCU. And as Kamala and Bruno are texting each other, it's like projecting written on the ceiling. Really little yeah. cool stuff like this when the texts come through. Yeah. And uh, Bruno goes to work for uh, Kamala. He's working on some gloves for her for her costume. And Kamala, she's posing in the mirror she's looking at her costume she's trying to figure out what she needs to fix it and then her mom knocks on the door so she hides the costume real quick but her mom tells her that her brother talked to them and that they've changed their mind she says even though i know this will be a direct uh, distraction from your studies we've decided to let you go and kamala's really excited 
And this was like heartbreaking because th- I've done this exactly. Like this is ex- something mm. exact. Everyone's done with their family, where her mom and dad are all of a sudden really excited for her because they know that she wants to go to this. So her mom has made her a costume that matches a costume for her dad. They're Big Hulk and Little Hulk. Her dad jumps in <laughs> in full green face paint. He's got his head painted green. He's like, Ugh! like, he's so excited. He's so into it. And she says, your Abu will drive you. He'll go inside with you for two hours. And as your dressing goes, I have a surprise. And her mom and her dad are just into it, right? They're so pumped. And she is as any 16-year-old would be at the sight of her parents, like, excited in full costume, wanting to take her around Comic-Con. She's horrified. (laughs) She's horrified by this. And the outfit is not exactly flattering. Uh, She had something in mind to do that she's been working on. And then it was like, no, I got to be the Hulk, like little Hulk with my dad. Green. And the the dad looks uh, ridiculous, but awesome at the same time. Mm So uh, it's one of those things where as a viewer, you love him, but you can totally see how if you're his daughter at 16 years old, you're not going to want to be paired up as his mini me like paraded around uh, in front of your peers like that the mom um, says the way the mom says to <laughs> see kamala big hulk little hulk bara right. hulk chachi hulk like the way she says it and she's smiling right. and it's just it made me laugh poor poor, poor kamala she yeah. just but <laughs> they did have the right idea, though, in kind of integrating the the, the culture into the design they there. Um, yep. So that that kind of foreshadowed the you know the missing ingredient in in her costume, and or maybe it inspired that. Um, and uh, uh, I love just that scene before uh, you touched on with the, the the text messaging, and you see it in the street. And in like the lights, uh, the emojis popping up. I thought that was so interesting. It was like a blend of animation and live action in a really fresh way that they do just throughout the whole series uh, to to showcase aspects of you know Kamala's personality and to just give you know added flair to the uh, to the, the 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 episode. But it also that scene showed how alone and uh, without a family. Bruno was. I mean, yeah. I don't know what his exact living situation is, but it seems like he's all alone in that par- apartment, just like uh, tinkering away, uh, like a like a young Tony Stark. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know. Are his parents completely out of the picture? Was that clarified in the, in the no, episodes? No, it, it uh, does. It does feel like that, right? She says something about giving the food to some. Like I know someone like so. Th- it feels like there's maybe an aunt or a grandma or a grandpa around for him, but it doesn't feel like the parents are there. Right. If so, yeah, yeah. they're definitely not like there often. They're, they're, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll get more into that, but it felt pretty noticeable, right? That they're, mm-hmm. that that's, you know, he could have easily gone home to his family and talked to his mom about having a crush on her and it wouldn't have been yeah. anything weird. But it seems like they're showing you that he's on his own and that he leans on their family a little bit too. You know, he's kind of part of the family. Um, yeah. And how sweet that he's working on the the gloves for her instead of uh, his stuff, instead of like anything for yeah. him, you know. He's it, it's such a selfless, uh, you know, thoughtful thing, and it shows also how in sync they are because like she she's working on her costume while he's working on her her costume, her costume. too. Uh, yeah. It's it's just really sweet how how like devoted he is to her, and you, you just kind of it, you get that feeling like 
ah, man, when are they going to, you know, come re- on. Or when is, when is she going to realize what's right in front of her? You know, exactly. Uh, it's, it's that best friend in front of you who, uh, who's in love with you moment. Um, yeah. I'm shipping him, bro. I'm shipping Bruno. Me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bruno come on. Kamala. Come on, Bruno. Let's go. <laughs> and they, uh, they go meet to talk about what happened. Kamala is pretty sad. She said, I made my dad cry. And she's maybe I am spending too much time with fan art and stuck in my head. And, you know, and Bruno says, you know what? No, if you want to, she said, it's not like brown girls from Jersey City save the world. And he stops her right away. This is like my favorite Bruno part right away. Like he doesn't even let her think that. He says, sure they do. You're Kamala Khan. If you want to save the world, then you're going to save the world. It was like really beautiful. Yeah. It was like s- simple, but like he he didn't yeah. even let her get in the train of thought that like I can't save the world because of this. He's like, no, of course you can. And then he tells her about the uh, the the gloves that he's working on, the photon gloves, and he takes them out. And they're now these they they look fine, but they look sort of like how a kid working on gloves might work, right? Someone like him mm-hmm. and. But they look cool, they glow and they light up And yeah. so she's all excited And they're they're out on top of the roof Kind of, you know, mimicking Like they were superheroes And it's just this mm-hmm. really, like, sweet scene She says, oh, Bruno Corelli Corporations He he writes on, on the gloves, you know So that's going to be his thing When he creates yeah. all this tech Bruno Corelli Corporations And she says, as she looks at him This is cosmic <laughs> So that's something that she will say throughout the uh, the series when she has these moments where she kind of has like a, a moment of enlightenment almost where she feels like at one with her powers, with life, with everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this was cool. You know, we then get the Kamala the next day at school, a quick flash. She's in the locker room and it's that moment where she looks around and her body isn't like the other girls. She's different and she's awkward. She's not athletic. She's getting hit in the nose with a basketball <laughs> here. And um in and, and now as she walks home, again, this moves like real quickly, like real quick. She's at school, day, like she has boom, she, boom mm-hmm. she's right back home. And her dad, Yusuf, is struggling with the, the Zuzu. Bruno's inventions going a little haywire <laughs> here. Um and uh as as he's having trouble with it. All of a sudden, Kamala gets an idea, and the way they did this was so cool. Like, she's standing right in front of the light bulb, you know? And the light, this was like a total Ferris Bueller. I was like, oh my gosh, this was like straight out of uh, Ferris Bueller. And Yusuf continuing, you know, to try to figure out what's going on with with the the Zuzu, she now has a plan. And Mm. this, this is... Exactly like the Spider-Man No Way Home plan, you know, that he maps out and we see it all play out and it's like Mm -hmm. a checklist of different of she's got her list, a checklist. She's got drawings with little clips and like a fantasy version of the perfect way everything in her plan goes off. Her family adores her. They admire her. Kamala, you're the best sister ever. (laughs) Kamala is the best daughter in the whole wide world, you know, and. They they go through everything he says, minute by minute. Yusuf right? says, uh, her brother Yusuf says, you should have been an only child. <laughs> or, yeah, Amir, Amir is her brother. I think Yusuf said Oh, Amir, right? sorry. Right, right, right. <laughs> you, you should have been an only child, right? It was. I love that line. Funny, funny, 
funny stuff. And this is again, again, very much. Uh, you, you mentioned Spider-Man, uh, but I, I see uh, Edgar Wright. I see uh, Shaun of the Dead. That that uh, 100%. 100%. that whole. Oh, I love it. And and yeah, they they sort of made fun into it and leaned into it in What If? You know, when when they were doing it in the mm. animated. Um, He's kind of telling everything that right. was happening with the with the zombies. So she ends up landing, of course, in like a perfect superhero pose in this daydream. And she everything happens perfectly. 555, 630, they catch the bus to Camp Lehigh. And you know, then eight o'clock, um, 60 minutes of fun at AvengerCon, then at eight o'clock, <laughs> the real reason I'm here, the cosplay. Uh, competition uh, We collect my crown I'm assuming it's made of diamonds Then a few quick photos <laughs> with my adoring fans Some chats with the press And then we bounce I sneak back <laughs> into my room before my dad comes in at 9.22 That's the plan And she goes through all of it And Bruno says So uh, your plan is to take the bus? <laughs> <laughs> she said that's what you got yeah. out of all of that? Really? Really? And uh, But Bruno gives her the motivation Says does it matter? Does how we get there matter um, if you haven't finished your costume yet? They want you to bring some of you to Captain Marvel, right? So your mom's Hulk idea isn't the right idea, but maybe something Pakistani. So that's mm. that was the inspiration. Uh, credit to mom. Credit to Bruno for uh, for that idea percolating, and it leads Kamala to go search for something. Um, that she can use for her costume The missing piece As the family Is having dinner um, Kamala or So she goes to search for something And that's when she finds The uh, the bangle that was, She finds the box in the attic of, of the stuff that was sent earlier And she's sort of looking around And she grabs the bangle and thinks it can Kind of look like a, a cool like armband For her or something that, you know, to, go with the, to go with her Captain Marvel costume and as the family's having dinner, Kamala gets the signal from Bruno. It's time to go. They need to enact their plan. So she gets ready and she uh, leaps out her window, but the first thing goes wrong. She like falls. <laughs> and she she tries to jump onto the tree. The branch breaks, and now all of a sudden, she not only fell on the ground and fell on her back, but that's her way back in. So yeah. now she has no way to climb back in. So. It's like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong in this fantasy, uh, in this reality now, TK. It's complete opposite of the fantasy. Um, they're late. They do finally make it to the bus, but as they're getting in the bus, the doors close and she can't get her bike in. So her bike, yeah. she has to leave her bike and basically lose her bike and, and get stolen. So not because not of a jerk bus driver, though. I know. I mean, it's that, like, well, dude, come on. What, what's up with that? Stop yeah. it, but you can't let her have her bike in here Come on, dude Seriously, <laughs> yeah. like, Young girl, I thought the same thing Come on <laughs> like Ridiculous um, But they do make it to Avengers Con at Camp Lehigh This was uh, The famous Camp Lehigh from A lot of the earlier movies And this place was awesome, man It is so cool um, Attractions all over And as any 16 year olds would do it Comic Con like that Bruno and Kamala are geeking out They're you know taking pictures Having a blast looking at everything Trying on different outfits And they're able to use Bruno's tech to spy on her parents From home so they're able to see If her parents are going to come up and check On her in her room and so They're you know they're trying to be One step ahead of the, <laughs> of the family 
now time comes for the reason why they're there. The Captain Marvel cosplay costume, and uh, Kamala has to go get ready, but she gets a little bit nervous before because she sees Zoe from school, the really hot girl, the insta-famous girl. She's actually wearing a Captain Marvel costume, so she's going to be in this cosplay contest as well. But Bruno, like always, he's he's propping her back up. Don't worry. It's your time to shine, literally. And uh, she goes into the bathroom to get ready, gets her costume all set, puts on the family bangle. But she accidentally forgets the photon gloves on the bathroom floor, the ones that Bruno has been working so yeah. hard on. You know, and it's yeah. it's sad. So, what did you think of the way uh, this uh, Avenger Con looks and uh, and the setup before this the cosplay costume starts? I thought it was dope, and uh, I I loved the aspect of Avengers Con specifically because there was something similar that they did. I'm not sure if it was in the comics as well, but I played a little bit of the Avengers game. Uh, that came out a, a couple years back, and that stars Kamala Khan. So that was my main introduction to that character. And it plays out very similarly, where she kind of starts off as this big fan of the Avengers, and she's going to Avengers Con. And that's kind of how I think it's like the first level of the game, is she's at like an Avengers Con type event, uh, and then some things go awry. Uh, but uh, that was, I thought, a really nice connection to, you know, her extended mythology throughout the beyond the mcu uh and the look of it you know on the show what was a little different uh from what was in the game but it was i thought really cool like i would have liked to have been there i think it actually looks a lot cooler than what i i think uh, comic-con specifically or other cons actually are uh, I, I agree. Don't have much, it looked it looked yeah. cool. it looked sort of like like if more it of a was... theme park no, it looked like Haunt. you know how when they have at 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 Disneyland when they do Halloween, yeah, it sort yes. of looked like that would have been right. Like yes. for the month, it's Avengers exactly time at that. Disneyland. Like it, it there were like yeah. rides and like it was really really big league production with it. You know, um, yeah, it looked fun. So, yeah, let's get let's uh let's find a way to get there. TK, we they gotta have <laughs> right. a pop up Avengers con uh, coming up coming soon. But poor Bruno, who's dressed as Bruce Banner, um. He's trying to play it cool. No, don't don't worry. You don't have time. Uh, just put the bangle on. You've got the bangle. Don't worry about the gloves. Go ahead. And what a sweetheart. I know. He's Does, so doesn't make a big deal out of it. Just stay supportive. Hours and hours on these. He's heartbroken. Clubs, you know. And he didn't. And, he didn't make it about him. And as she puts the bangle on, there's this like energy wave that runs through her. It's this like cosmic yeah. purple, bluish coloring, and she can feel it, and then quickly, like as she she kind of flashes to this, we see a few times. It's like she quickly goes into this different realm, like a mm-hmm. different universe for like a moment or two, where everything the sort negative of, zone. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Is that what? Yeah, there Maybe. we go. There we go. And that's that. That this starting this happens there a couple times throughout, but this is the first time she yeah. experienced it. And Bruno does really even cool. Really, the way she falls cool. back. Yeah, uh, vis- sorry. Just no, no, visually, it, that was a standout moment for me. She's yeah, she's like she's falling. It's 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 sort of hard to describe, but it, it looks a lot of like the things that we've been seeing in the last you know few months with multiverses and and cracks in the dimensions and stuff like that. And 
Yeah, Stranger Things, the upside down a little bit. You're right. she, she, You're it's right. literally flips upside down yeah. uh, to see it. And I, I, they actually did that quite a few times in the episode, playing with the, you know, tilting the camera, uh, you know, in all sorts of directions. Uh, and that's this isn't even the last time they do it in this episode. Uh, but uh, playing with the Dutch tilts and, and things like that, there's a lot of dynamic camera movement. And uh, this was, a, a, again, just a standout moment visually with the, the, the camera movement and the special effects and this, this realm that they introduced. Uh, uh, just a, a really cool moment. So as she goes up on stage, the flashing lights of the camera seem to trigger her powers. And she shoots out like these energy bolts that we're going to become – uh, they were going to be calling hard light what what they mm-hmm. they sort of uh, reference. She gets big cheers all over, and people are so pumped. She's like a superhero right here, but she doesn't really know what she's doing. She can't control herself. Her she not she knocks a bunch of stuff over, and all of a sudden people are in danger. Like Zoe gets lifted up by a Thor hammer, and she's st- stuck on this hammer. It's like swinging back. And fourth, Kamala's trying to figure out what's going on. Like Bruno is like, what what the hell is happening? She's able to quickly like extend her arm out, like Mr. Fantastic, like a stretch Armstrong to save Zoe. But all of this happens like really quickly. It's like a blur. And remember, they they're running late. They got to get back home. So Bruno like grabs her quickly and they get back on their bikes and start leaving. It was like Instantaneous, <laughs> like really fast, how this all happened. Yeah, and, uh, it was instantaneous, but that head did roll for quite a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was really funny. My yeah. my uh, my explanation for that is it must have been imbued with like extra kinetic energy because right. of that uh, that <laughs> bolt that got fired. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a little mixed on the look of the hard light that you mentioned there. Um, on second viewing, it didn't bother me as much, and it was a very minor quibble. I, I just I don't know. There's a different way that her powers manifest um, in the video game that I played and in the comics, uh, the way that they show it. I hear that uh, this version that we're seeing here is kind of like a rudimentary, like early version. That's not going to be her fully formed version of the power. So I wonder if what they're doing is kind of like her early version is she can manipulate what they describe as like hard light. And it's kind of like equals MC squared stuff here where um math uh, mass and energy are are the same thing matter and energy are the same things that is uh it's just vibrating at different frequencies so i'm wondering if eventually she'll be able to like manipulate matter in a way that she's kind of manipulating this hard light right now now as she sneaks back in bruno gives her a boost but she actually has to use her powers to kind of help extend to get her up on the roof in She's like overwhelmed. She has no idea what's happened. But instead of being home at 9:22, it's 11:11 <laughs> when she walks into her room. So what happens? Mom, of course, is sitting there waiting. And it's one of those conversations that she has where you know your parents have with you where it does kind of hit home. She says, "You know, what are you doing? I'm not recognizing you, Kamala. You Who's this rebellious girl sneaking out lying to us?" I'm trying to protect you from yourself. I've seen what happened when people get obsessed with these fantasies. And Kamala chimes in. Yeah. I know you're just going to tell me some story about Nani, grandma. So, and her mom spins it right back. So you actually knew what I was going to say. And you knew it would betray me. But you still went and did it anyway. 
Ooh. It's time to stop fantasizing. I wish you would just focus on you, your grades, your family, your story. Do you want to be good like we raised you, or do you want to be some cosmic head in the clouds person? You think about that. So it it's tough because yeah. it hits home. And she even understands like she is lying to her family and she, you know, she did sneak out and was gone late. But she can't really be too upset because she sits down and her freaking hand is glowing. Yeah. She's got powers. <laughs> like, I, I, uh, I've got powers here. You know, I'm sorry, mom. I can't be too mad. Like, I can move stuff. And um, so, yeah, she we end uh, the episode with her smiling, cosmic energy glowing. And she even says cosmic. Yeah. But we get a, a post credit scene TK with the two agents From the DODC The Department of Damage Control It's Agent Cleary who we were introduced to In Spider-Man um, mm-hmm. And he was actually uh, In a show called Inventing Anna um, Which was on um, on oh, Netflix yeah. Does a really good job on there too And then the other agent is Agent Deaver That's Alyssa Reiner Alicia Reiner from Orange is the New Black She's Awesome in uh, in Orange is the New Black there mm. So they are They are seeing a clip From AvengerCon that was posted On social media of uh, Kamala using her powers So they're basically from this agency that has to like You know something you think of If they try to keep this on the down low They don't want everybody knowing every single thing That's happening with super powered people And so they're um, They talk about how They gotta bring her in yeah. So episode one, we they're already get to be, uh, uh, they're damage control, right? Yeah. Damage yep. control. DODC department DODC? of damage control. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very cool. Uh, I hope we get more post credit scenes. Uh, you know, we're going to cover episode two here in, in a minute, but, uh, I was a little disappointed. There wasn't one in episode two. I hope I maybe there, there's more later uh, yeah. in the series. Maybe I'm expecting if there's one at the first episode, there's probably going to be one. At the finale, but I, I'm not going to expect any more uh, in the middle since episode two didn't have one. Yeah, I was going to say maybe we get one in five before six, or then at the very right. end. But yeah, I think we'll get at least one more maybe at the end. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, normally when we do our week to week to week, we can kind of do like a full recap afterwards. But since we're going to dive right into episode two, we can just we'll just jump right into episode two and sort of uh, talk about what we saw from the first two uh, overall. <laughs> And uh, we dive right into uh, episode two, TK. We get the previously on and the Marvel Studios title and intro. Uh, intro, and then now this is a different looking Kamala walking into this high school. Man, she's got yes. Mace playing in the background. This looks a little oh. different than the day before yeah. when she walked in after she failed <laughs> her driver's test. She is straight confident. She walks through there strutting in the hallways like the floors were freaking paved for her. I mean, she is yeah. she's not actually glowing, but she is confident glowing. She actually yeah, corrects right? a, a teacher who's been um, calling her by the wrong name. She actually like has this save by the bell moment where she kind of like stops time, <laughs> like time yeah. out and like everything stops for a second. And then she kind of like walks Right through she actually Like all of the interactions that she had The day before they're now going In her favor she walks right Mm -hmm. Through these people who are standing at her locker And instead of like letting Them stand there and and awkwardly get out Of the way she kind of moves Right through and she says I love you guys You know I'm rooting for you favorite couple You know (laughs) and then she Bumps into a, a guy real good Looking guy who picks up her book 
And they share a little bit of a smile and a connection And we're going to find out more about him This is uh, Cameron, but not the same uh, Kamala from the day before, TK No, uh, it's, it's a total uh, flip on it I mean, she's got swag now She did not have that before Like, while well, on the last uh, sequence while she's walking down the hallway, it seemed like her environment was kind of, you know, collapsing in on her. In this case, she's just overtaking everything. She parts the seas uh, of people in, in a way, and uh, she's just in control. Uh, and that's that's reflective of the fact that, like, she kind of came into her own in the last episode. Um, she came into her own power, uh, quite literally and figuratively. Uh, in this coming of age story, so uh, it's it's uh, reflective of, of that new you know energy, that literal energy that she's got within her. But um, that that uh, it, it's coming out in confidence right now, and uh, and she's such a likable person to begin with. We already like see her like that. Now it's like oh, everyone in the, in the school is going to kind of see her in that way too. So Bruno has been trying to figure out. What happened the night before at AvengerCon with these powers, where they came from? She jokes, uh, I tried to shrink and fly and talk to ants. None of it worked. And he <laughs> says, Why why would you think you have Ant-Man powers? She says, Because we're both charming and we look a lot younger than we are. <laughs> Which is a great Paul, Paul Rudd, Rudd joke. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh yeah, Paul Rudd just gets younger and younger and better looking. I think he's cute. Uh, he's just uh good stuff. Paul Rudd. <laughs> so we're we're finding out that Zoe is the one who's becoming in even more insta famous because of her run in with the superhero at AvengerCon. Nobody mm-hmm. knows that that superhero was Kamala. She was dressed in the Captain Marvel getup. So Zoe's the one who gets the rub. She's getting all the followers. Yeah. Um, Bruno reminds her secret identities are secret for a reason. But mm-hmm. you know. Kamala's a 16-year-old girl. She'd love to have a million followers. That'd be great. And we really get to know about Nakia in this episode, who is awesome. She is awesome. Her friend. And that's what I love about Mm. this show also. Her friends and her family don't really seem to just be like Kamala's friend, Kamala's family. Like, they got their own stuff going on. You know, like, Bruno is getting into Caltech here. And he's got to figure out what he wants to do. Um, Nikki is running for the board of at the mosque, and she's got this whole struggle trying to deal with, you know, these older men and her brothers getting married. You know, he's dealing with his wedding. Mm-hmm. It's not they're not just window dressing to be pieces on the the Kamala's chessboard. They're all like fleshed mm-hmm. out characters that I I really yeah. like, and they make them feel more real. And Nakia, um. You know, comes in and and the so the three of them now, Nakia and Kamala and Bruno are watching Zoe, who people are sitting around her like she's like she's Jesus telling tales. Yeah. You know, she's like talking about, yo, this is what happened, and all of a sudden, you know, I was thrown to the ground, and then this beautiful white light cascaded over me, and it was a a wave of calmness, and and she says, yeah, it was um, it was it was night light, so so she <laughs> names. The the superhero Nightlight, and <laughs> that's who uh, Kamala. Night monkey. Well, not exactly like Ned's Night Monkey uh, reference. So Zoe is the one who's you know who's getting all the uh, who's getting all the popularity because of this, and Zoe's gonna have a party. 
because of this. So she actually invites Cameron, the new hot boy that Kamala ran into. <laughs> and it's funny because as Zoe's talking about her party, Kamala says, yeah, we're so not going to that party. And then two seconds later, when Cameron gets invited, she said, you know, I think we should really go to that party. <laughs> so uh, yeah. and poor Bruno is like kind of oh. putting, it, putting it together. Like, I think yeah. at this moment, he's the wheels are starting to come together where he's like, what do oh, you know? What? Yeah. What's going on? You know, and come on. And so Bruno and Kamala are working on Kamala's powers and we get some of the growing pains, the training montage scenes, Tim, that every, every movie mm-hmm. like this has got to have. They got to have it, though. If they don't, we're going to get mad. Yeah. On the rooftops too Right the rooftop she's trying to figure out How to use her powers And she actually gets An idea and and we're seeing her Fall and Bruno keeps kind of picking Her up she's watching Him play a video game And she gets the idea to Create energy What they call hard light And what she does is she's (laughs) able to kind of Like put out a bolt That looks like little lily pads That she can jump on they're like little little electrical like like cosmic lily pads that's like a base that she can jump fo- forward and so like Fortnite. Exactly. <laughs> like literal Fortnite. No, yeah. Right. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And so she's got a plan. Now she, you know, they they start to work on it. And and Bruno's running tests on her, looking through her vitals, tells her something important. The power is not coming from the bangle. It looks like the bangle unlocked the superhuman part of you. It's coming from within you. And of course she reacts. So what like I'm I'm like Asgardian or something? Dude, am I related to Thor? <laughs> like, that's how a kid would right? That's how any kid <laughs> would react. Um and this was definitely the moment where like you you see them on the rooftops when they're having their scenes and you go, wow, they don't even see they seem like they're like twelve or fourteen. You know, which it which yeah. it makes you smile a little more because they're genuine, they're young, they're sheltered kids mm-hmm. who are big Avengers fans, and yeah. they uh, they continue to try to investigate the bangle a little bit more, see if they can find out about any of the writing um, or anything on there. But cool, cool, fun moments with Bruno helping out, and the training continues, and Kamala just. Trying to figure figure it out This was I mean you like it looks Like it was taken straight out of Spider-Man Or straight yeah, out yeah. of Hawkeye which we were you know just Seeing a couple months ago And I I like all this Stuff because this was something I thought I heard people in Hawkeye Critique about the quarter flip With Kate right or like you know the right. Little things like that where if we don't see The training and then we're just supposed To believe that <laughs> this 16 Year old girl you know can all of a sudden use her powers and this and that, and we we don't we don't have the like Kamala, uh, Kamala in this show doesn't skip ahead any steps. Even later right. in this episode, when she's trying to save people and use her powers, she doesn't know what she's doing yet. She's still struggling yeah. with them. It's not as if she's mastered these powers. Yeah, and that's what makes it uh, interesting to to follow this character right now. I don't think we've gotten a whole lot of. Um, in the MCU specifically, a whole lot of like really young characters struggling to learn their powers. I mean, here and there we've seen it a little bit, but like we didn't, we skipped over that part with um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Uh, he was already kind of, you know, 
kind of Spider-Man by the time we caught up with him. He yeah. was already doing his thing. He was still early, but uh, it wasn't like that brand new, fresh, we're just figuring this thing out. Got by the thing. spider thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause we, we covered that in the uh, the Sony Spider-Man movie, so they felt like they, that was, they didn't have to do that again in the Tom Holland MCU movies, and it was probably for the best. Uh, but this is, again, like a fresh take on something that we've seen before, and this is a new kind of uh, power that we're seeing too, although it's very reminiscent of you know Green Lantern power. And yep. I don't know if visually it looks the best. There's something about it to me that just looks a little bit like I'm it's... looking at some CG on the screen right now. I know. There's um, something it, – it's, there's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit off. It's not horrible, but there's something like – it doesn't quite connect all the way with me. Maybe, it, maybe, yeah. Maybe it gets maybe a little bit better. Maybe it's just because it's fake. Yeah. Maybe it's, well, right. like maybe there's no way to make like hard light look real because that's not something that could be real. Like I, I, I don't right. know. Yeah. Um, it might just that, be that may- simple. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But I, I don't know though. Maybe, maybe there is a way that they could have improved upon it though. I, I, either way, I'm not sure. It is a little bit of a minor quibble, but it's also kind of important too because it's like that thing that makes it. A superhero show and that's kind of the brand identity of the mcu otherwise we're just watching a uh, a john hughes rehash or you know uh mm-hmm. you know a, a high school coming of age thing uh which they're doing that really really well um but just i don't know i felt a little bit something was lacking with with the superpowers again though everything around it and the way they build up the story around the superpowers and all that i like and i love like you touched on it before the way that she's kind of sloppy and and uh, and way way green uh, when we see her actually try to use them later in the episode, like that's really interesting. The way that plays out, it almost reminded me a little bit of Kickass, and it felt very real. Oh, I'm glad uh, you mentioned like Kickass too. Yeah, of of this, uh, you know, the superpowers there. So, um, again, just minor quibble about the uh, the CG there, but uh, really good o- overall. This is and this next scene. I mean, when are you going to have a scene with two girls, young girls in a mosque in like a superhero movie? Right. You just yeah. wouldn't see it. And it's just it feels perfect. It doesn't feel out of place or anything. Kamala and Nakia run into the mosque. They're late. They clean up quickly and they head in. And we see them in the female section in the way back where they can't really hear kind of kneeling on hard floor. And <laughs> all the women are treated a little bit differently. The men are up front. And as the girls sort of talk about it, they get interrupted by the priest. Now, Nakia is kind of griping, you know, they got to fix this place. You got to um, the, the men's section is pristine, but we have mold under the carpets. The walls are crumbling. We can't just stick up a poster for every piece of plaster that falls. And the the sheik can hear them talking. And so he calls out Kamala. He says, uh. Sister Kamala, how glad I am that you've joined us today. She says, sorry, Sheik, you know, it's really hard to concentrate when we can barely see you, <laughs> smartass. Like, I love this, <laughs> right? This, and she says, uh, it, it, but the Sheik actually seems like a pretty cool guy. You know, mm-hmm. like, I was thinking about me and, like, with priests when I was young. Man, if you would have said <laughs> something like that in church, they nah. would have grabbed <laughs> you by the wrist and taken you outside and, like, smacked you. And yeah. she, he he kind of jokes with her. He says, uh, you know, he makes a comment about how she was late. How 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 glad I am that you've joined us. The partition and the side entrance are there to preserve our modesty and dignity. Thank you for reminding us that it's important to share your voice. 
though perhaps except during my lecture, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty funny way of putting it. Um, yeah. and then he goes on with his, um, you know, announcements, but it is, you know, it's one of those things that it's kind of done quickly and it's done in passing, but I'm, I'm glad they do this because you, you're able to quickly see that in this mosque, it's still very ancient culture uh, uh, traditions where women are treated mm-hmm. like second class citizens and, and Nakia doesn't really want want to deal with this anymore. You know, Kamala makes a joke to her about running for the mosque board. And that <laughs> joke ends up turning into Nakia saying, you know what? I'm I'm gonna do this. She gets mad because she walks they walk back in to change and somebody stole her shoes. There's yeah. there's a thief. It's the 22nd pair of shoes that have been stolen, and the men don't really care. So she's gonna run for the mosque board. And she wants to make some changes around there. Kamala's like pumping her up. She's her wing woman here. Yeah, of course, you're going to do this. Let's do this. And then she goes, great. You're going to be my campaign manager. Huh? <laughs> what? So I, I, this was a small scene. I love mm-hmm. this scene, though. I just yeah. it, it felt it felt like needed to tell to help us tell the story of Nakia. I feel like I know so much about Nakia just in a few minutes now. Definitely, definitely. And she seems to be, I think, like a little bit more of a traditional uh, Muslim. I think she wears the hijab uh, outside of the mosque, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, whereas that's not something that uh, Kamala chooses to do. She's more of like a reformed Muslim uh, uh, take on on, on things like she's literally challenging uh, the the um, the system (laughs) uh, in the middle of. in the middle of uh, the the, I'm sorry, is it the imam? Is that the name? I think the imam was speaking. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so she interrupts him. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. Um, the sheikh, but, the um, sheikh, yeah. The sheikh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, he. Uh, it's. I thought that that was uh, just a very interesting thing to bring that aspect of of the culture there. They could be a little bit critical of it while not demonizing anything. Everything felt very just human like the, the, the humanity of everyone was at the forefront uh whereas representation and presentation of um you know muslims and arabic people in pop culture specifically american pop culture you know in the last few decades and beyond has been very one note and usually you know cornered in an area where they're pretty much represented as uh, uh terrorists for <laughs> or or something to be feared uh, and that's the opposite of what we're seeing here. And the idea that they can be a little bit critical there actually speaks to the idea that Muslims in general are not all radicalized. Like they can take criticisms and they're 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 reasonable people. Uh, so that's just something that strangely uh, it, it it feels a little bit fresh uh, here just because of how closed off to that side of the world uh, you know American culture has been especially within our media so to see this on a Disney show it's uh, revolutionary in a way you know it's something that in my lifetime I just haven't seen so Uncle Rashid is the one who's actually running and that's what makes Nakia a little worried initially but they're gonna do it she's gonna run we uh, we get back home and Kamala apologizes to her mom and they have a, a good little moment. She says, I know you're growing. I just want you to stay safe. And Kamala asks, hey, look, there's a party tonight. 
but she does it much better this time. Look, Zoe's having some people over. I'll, I, this is a great, great uh, thing to use with your parents. Okay, who are the people that my parents trust? Let's mention them. Let's let them know that they're going to be there. Uh, Bruno, Zoe's going to be there. Nakia will be there. I'll be home by nine. Okay, so mom agrees, but just come home through the back door this time. So that was simple, not too hard. Mm-hmm. Got what she wanted. Nine o'clock though. Come on, sixteen years old. Come on, nine o'clock. You know, like yeah, come on. Bruno, Nakia, Kamala, they head to Zoe's party. And uh, as does happen at high school parties, one boy slips Kamala a drink. She takes a swig and realizes it's vodka, um, but she's not much of a drinker, so she kind of spits it out. And as they're at the party, that super cool guy, Cameron, he's up on the roof and he jumps off. He does this awesome double front flip off of like, it was just clean. This thing was clean. And there's there's for sure something up with Cameron because he's like mm-hmm. almost emanating this light from him from him as well. There's like this yeah. like bioluminescence coming out of him, this like bluish color. Yeah. This dude is like super good looking. And Kamala, even Nakia are like smitten with him when he like <laughs> takes his shirt off. They're like just gushing over this guy. And and like Kamala's getting these visions, these fantasies of him, and and the emojis are coming out that are saying like fine, fire, hot, and like one hundred, and uh, that's just another little Scott Pilgrim kind of kick ass thing that you you see the animation on the screen, and it just kind of makes you laugh, makes you smile. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 good stuff. It's really well done. The um so. What do we think of uh, of Cameron here? Poor Bruno, <laughs> our, our guy. You know, he he even says, "Man, you really belly flopped it back there, man. That had to hurt." <laughs> and it, it was like such a clean. It was like such a him a little bit. I yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't apply. Like you, you went you went for the criticism there to like take him down a peg, but he was just like, "No, nah, I didn't feel a thing. Uh, I'm just too cool, I guess." Uh, and it, he does seem like instantly like pretty dry in a weird way <laughs> like that like is almost otherworldly i wonder if that's that energy that you were talking about um but uh yeah that flip in itself is i think foreshadowing that this guy is a little bit um more than just human he's a little inhuman perhaps now um <laughs> as, as they are quickly talking we hear the cops come so everyone's got to scatter they're very lucky that Cameron has a car. So Kamala, Bruno, Nakia, this other guy, Miguel, they're all able to jump into the, the car. And it's uh, Kamala and Cameron up front. Cameron's driving. The others are in the back seat. And there's a connection between Kamala and, and Cameron pretty instantly. They start talking about the car, kind of flirting. And then they're talking about music. Then they're talking about Bollywood movies. And... Poor Bruno's like literally trying to chime in from the back seat. Mm-hmm. I mean, she failed her driving test. You know, she can't drive. And, you know, like <laughs> I like Bazigar. You know, he, he just he doesn't want to be left out of the conversation. He can sense <laughs> what's happening here. He can feel oh, it. Yeah. He can feel this connection as um, they get out of the car and Cameron puts his number in Kamala's phone and. You know he's he's cool, dude. This dude is cool, and he he's acting cool. And as he walks off and leaves, he says he calls Bruno Brian. <laughs> just this 
just as like a real dagger, you know, and and he goes, he knows my name's not Bruno says he knows my name's not Brian. And and then uh what does Nakia say? Brian's mad. Why is Brian mad? <laughs> like, just like joking with him. So this this was great. Like this all feels really authentic to me. Like I I remember the feeling of this. Like it all felt like oh my gosh. Like I can I can play out the people in my head, like the girls or who these who this was, and mm. and she gets she gets back into her her house and she's dancing and singing and the song that's playing. Be my be my be my little baby. Be my <laughs> be my be my baby now. And she's dancing and she's just in her own daydream. This is like the yeah. in love, the feels, the moment, and. I thought it just felt like it felt how it feels. And when she goes and sits mm-hmm. down, lays down on her bed, Cameron has already texted her right away. Like two seconds after this was a move that I pulled all the time because everybody tells you to be the, to be cool. And you, you want to wait a few days before you call her you know, you don't <laughs> right away. I think it's the best to go opposite way. You know, I think you immediately mm-hmm. do the text right away and you let them know, like you had fun and she's, just smiling. They've already got a date set up for Monday. And she is just so happy. There's animation of them dancing in the background, like neon signs. They're dancing all through the stars. I loved like everything about this. Yeah, it was, uh, it does capture that, uh, that feeling that afterglow of like when you have a crush and you're young and you're, you're just completely smitten by it. And uh, I think a lot of it just comes through in the in her performance too. Uh, I just think uh, Iman Valani uh, just she's fantastic. She's just so likable, and she just is. you just relate to her and empathize her, empathize with her with everything because she just wears her emotions on on her face at all times. And then the sh- the show does such a great job of like using like little animated flourishes to just to highlight those emotions and, 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 and that sense of, um, of, uh, of, uh, just, uh, I don't know, just, uh, of love, I guess. Of like, yeah, she's and, genuine. Yeah. It's like, whatever it is at the moment, like, uh, it's, it's she's got the it, the it that you're looking for, for her, like you and understand immediately mm-hmm. why they cast her. There's just that it's it. Like she is Miss Marvel, this girl in, yeah. The the text is written in the patterns of the comforter of her bed, which yeah, is really that's cool. so clever. It's just it's awesome. The next day, and that that's not something ahead. you see on the Disney Channel ever. No, also. That's, that's another thing. That's like high quality stuff. Like that's really yeah. cool, really well done production. Like like very very well done stuff. Next week or the next day, they're at school. They're learning, and again, we just get a little a little tidbit from Nakia. Who mentions they spend six weeks on ancient Rome and ancient Greece, but six minutes on ancient Persia and Byzantium? Histories written yes. by the oppressors. That's all I'm gonna say. But Kamala's not really paying attention because something happened where she kind of like moved the bangle by her face, and now all of a sudden her nose is glowing. <laughs> it's like yeah. she doesn't she doesn't know what's going on. She runs to the bathroom, and the two girls have this amazing heart to heart in the bathroom. Where mm-hmm. Nakia tells her she's been acting a little bit weird, and Kamala says everything's just changing really fast. I can't. Nakia brings the... tampons, by the way. Yeah, too. She, I mean, there's... She, 
Yeah. A, there's a lot of um, metaphor going on here about yeah. like women coming into their own and adolescence and puberty specifically. I mean, the, uh, I, I thought that was all really well done. I mean, even the thing uh, with her nose glowing, that's like getting a, a pimple in class or like if you're exactly. if you're a guy like popping some wood in class uh, right? and wondering, it's, oh, shit, what I got to gotta tuck a, this into my waistband right now or what's happening here? It's the same feel. And she, you know, she asked Nakia, I don't I can't keep up with it. I know it's dumb. How do you make it look so easy? Yeah. Is it easy? Are you kidding? Between the the hijab and the girl, and she points to her boobs, and she says, "The girlies, my parents can barely make eye contact with me anymore. It's not easy. <laughs> my whole life, I've been neither too white for some people or too ethnic for others, and it's it's very uncomfortable. It's sucky in between. So when I first put this on, I was hoping to shut some people up, but I realized I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Like I put this on, I feel like me. I have a purpose. It's probably why I ran for the mask, the mosque board." But remember, you're the one who convinced me to do it in the first place. And the response that Kamala gives to her, she looks at her like how you look at someone that you love and just says, I love you. And it's so real. It's like, I believe that these two girls love each other. It was Mm -hmm. like she like looks at her friend like she's so proud of her friend. Like, I'm lucky to be your friend, like how smart you are and how like and. I definitely this this reminded me exactly of of Edward James almost in Selena, where he's like he mm. does the line, we gotta we're too Mexican for the Mexicans and we're too white for the white. <laughs> we gotta be Christina and we gotta be Oprah. It's exhausting, you know. He goes through this whole like little phrase, but it's it's true, you know. You you feel like in trying to appease one side, you're not really. Going all in so you're like you're being Mm -hmm. A little bit whitewashed because you're You know you're wanting to play to them but then you're not Really playing to your culture because you're doing That so it puts you in this place where You feel like you're dancing and you're tiptoeing And everybody kind of hates you or Hates is a strong word but everybody's sort Of like kind of looking at you like You're not really or you're not authentic Right and that's what they want to do Is they want to live authentically uh, But they feel like they they Can't uh, just because Of their environment but they're they're standing strong. Um, and that's the thing that, uh, that Kamala like really admires in that moment, uh, that, that she sees their differences, uh, but she sees her strength and like her individuality and, uh, the fact that she's going to do her best to live authentically. And that she's, I think Kamala is just very inspired by that. Now, Bruno Gets called in to go see Mr. Wilson, and we find out that he has been accepted to the early immersion program at Caltech in the dorms on campus. Everything's free, it's all paid for. Bruno's not as excited as you would have expected for someone like him. Caltech, this is huge. Yeah. He he wants to think about it, and we can immediately sense sort of why. And Mr. Wilson says, Bruno. Have you ever seen a movie? <laughs> he goes, yes, I've seen a movie. And I just thought that was fun. Have you ever heard a song? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I know what music is. And uh, he says, this is the part of the movie where somebody comes into the main character and they say, you're going to be a Jedi. Or you want to answer phones of a demanding but impossible chic magazine editor? 
says, well, this is this moment. This is happening to you right now. You're the lead character, and I'm Meryl Streep. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. He's such a dork, and it's, yeah. it is great. It is. He's one of those characters that he's n- not important to anything pivotal, really, about the story. But mm-hmm. the way, like, they could have had him be anyone. It could have just been random teacher. But just this guy adds so much life to the scenes that he's in. It's great. So true. He steals it. And it's another example of like representation, different, you know, types of people, uh, people that we and characters that we haven't really seen too much of uh, in our media. Uh, And then it's integrated in just a way that feels natural and it's memorable. It's that much more memorable because this character is so just unique and he feels, uh, again, authentic. Uh, The the, the casting in this is just so well done. And I think the characters are, are so well written with specifics uh that uh they they feel fleshed out they feel uh again authentic so kamala finishes school for the day and normally when she walks out of school her and bruno go and hang out they've been doing the training and they've been working on her powers but this time she has plans she's gonna go do some driving with cameron now bruno didn't know so as he walks out, he starts, okay, today we're going to go balance and concentration. We're going to go here. We'll start to work. But she has other plans. He he notices that she's walking over to uh, to go meet with Cameron. But before, she still even invites him to the, to the, like, the, par- the family, the Eid. You know, she, hey, we're going to go be with the family uh, at, at, the, uh, at the mosque, the big ceremony at the mosque. You want to come? And he agrees. But it's like, oh, you don't like him, but you still want him to be around with your family to help you out, you know, to to come get you out of the the awkwardness there to help you with the superhero. She's not thinking about it that way, but it's like, oh, you're taking this guy for granted, man. It's it's sad because we we all do this and we don't realize to some people in our life and the Brunos aren't going to always be there. They're going to be one of those times when you need them and and (laughs) you may have may have crapped on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Bruno might find somebody else. He he is a catch, you know. He might move on at some point. Uh, but uh, he's there right now, and Kamala needs to see it. So she is out actually on the streets driving with Cameron, and they're they're being flirty and they're having a good time, and then they go to eat. So they're talking, and they're talking about movies and Bollywood, and. He actually Cameron mentions that his mom has a crush <clears throat> on Kingo, who is <laughs> so the good. Kumail character. Yeah. So they're just tying it back to Eternals as uh, mm-hmm. as they're talking and flirting and they're sharing a moment. Kamala notices that her brother Amir and the fiance are there, so she's nervous. She's hiding. She's not supposed to be out with boys. And they're trying to hide behind the menus. They've got the menus propped up (laughs) and they're like hiding behind them. And they share this moment where their hands connect and almost looks like they're going to kiss, but they don't. And uh, Amir actually does see them. So he walks over and Amir and Taisha is uh, is Amir's fiance. So they they talk for a moment and Kamala doesn't know what to say. So she says, "Uh, this is Cameron. He's our cousin. Um, Cousin? And. Immediately, Taisha is like, no, I know that this is a dude that she's dating or like, you know, this is a boy that she's out with. Like, no way. But but Cameron plays this off really well. He says, yeah, I'm Uncle uh, Chudri's nephew through marriage. And 
Amir's like, hmm, but isn't Uncle Chudri from Pakistan? Why do you have a British accent? He goes, oh, yeah, you know, I was just doing a bit. I said, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of the Great British Bake Off. I love that show. I just binged it, so I was doing a bit. And Amir it's goes, quick. man, you got me. That was great. Like, you sounded just like it. He's so, he's so gullible. Like, I love Amir. He's a great character. Yeah, yeah. He's so, he's likable, and he, he uh, He's looking out for his sister too, so he's like he wants to see the best in anybody that's that's around her or whatever. I guess he's protective too, and that's what that was at first. But you know, at the end of the day, if if this is a good dude uh, and it's it's a cousin or whatever, and somebody that's a friendly person, like he he's just gonna be uh, friendly to them, you know, and and uh, he's, there's nothing to be afraid of. So, um. Amir says, I think I remember you. You were looking at Haram things on the internet. We called you Haram.comron. I'm going to call you that from now on. And he just like loves it. And I, I it was again, just it was awkward and funny. It sort of felt real. And uh, yeah. we, uh, so things are going well between Kamala and, uh, and Cameron. Uh, we go back to Kamala's house and Amir and, Taisha are having dinner with the family, and we get to find out a lot about her family here. I thought this was a, a very important scene. Yusuf sort of tells us the story. Uh, we moved to America so our children could be anything they wanted. Um, my family has been in Karachi for generations. Muniba's family moved to Karachi only after the partition. Back then, there was no Pakistan or Bangladesh. It was all one big country. And him and his mom both sort of are uh, Yusuf and and. Kamala's mom both tell the tale a little bit. The British left us with a mess. It was very hard for many people. Then there was a civil war. Every Pakistani family has a partition story. Uh, Amir says, yeah, none of them are good. Um, And then Yusef tells a a tale, sort of like a fable about their family. There's a story about Muniba's family during the partition. They had to get on the last train that was getting out of the city, and her mother – Sana was just a toddler. She got separated from her parents on the train station. Her father tried to find her. He was injured. He was needing a walking stick to get around. He couldn't keep up with her. Nobody knows how that little toddler managed to get back on the train just before. And then Amir jumps in just before the train pulled out the station. You know, we we kids have heard our parents stories a million times, and I'm sure they've heard this one a million times. And then in the next line. Kamala finishes it, says that Sana followed a trail of stars right back to her father, and they don't know what happened to Sana's mother, the great-grandmother. She disappeared that night just like many others did. This is very important. We find out the history about to their family, the partition, which is something that isn't in probably in the history books. It is not enough or as much as it should be, something that. Again, you and I are a couple white guys here. This gets this gets pushed over because it doesn't make the white guys look good, right? You yeah. know that yeah. that's what ends up happening. And so, when when the people that tell the stories know that the stories make some of their ancestors look bad, those stories just don't get told very much. Yeah, they touched on it er, uh, earlier in class. Uh, you know, the the, the colonizers uh, generally dictate the. Uh, the stories that get told and minimize, you know, the stories that don't uh, don't look too favorably on them or that uh, are from the perspective of the people being colonized or being sometimes er- eradicated. So 
Kamala then has another one of those episodes that like that wave of sound and energy that comes over her, the purple coloring. It's like she flashes to a different realm or or multiverse. And mm-hmm. and and this time we see a woman reaching out to her. But this yeah. is all happens like really quick. And and she passes out and she wakes back up and her family's like staring over her. Her mom says, Kamala, did you not eat anything or did you eat too much? I That's thought that- perfect. That yes. line was so funny. I, it's I such just, a great mom line. Like, it because so it's funny. like, she, it's got to be something that she did. Like, she's being so critical in either way, and it's specific to food. What did you <laughs> like, do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, so Kamala's got to find out a little bit more. She calls her grandma. And when she's talking to her grandma... Her grandma has the phone, like right, like how an old person answers the phone, like on a Skype. You know, they, they can't figure out the camera. Yeah. They've got it like right up in their face. It's like too close. Yeah. And um, so uh, Kamala asks her grandma about the bangle, and she starts to say the bangle belonged to my mother Aisha, and then she kind of stops, and she realizes like, uh oh, I'm not supposed to talk about her. I'm definitely not supposed to talk about Aisha. And Kamala continues to try to ask and to pry, but Grandma realizes that she screwed up. Like, oh no, uh oh, her mom's gonna be mad at me. And Kamala's dad is actually eavesdropping. He can hear from outside the room, and he tries to come in. And Kamala uses her, is able to use her powers to like shut the door and to just <laughs> instantly, you know, she uses the hard light to just cut it right off. Th- this is another scene that felt sort of like, uh oh. I said something too much that I shouldn't have said. Like the family doesn't yeah. want her to know that, and uh, and dad's trying to 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 sneak in, and now she's actually getting a better control of her powers. And then, of course, like always, uh, when dad walks in, she pretends like she was asleep the whole time, and and that she wasn't yeah. even on the phone talking with grandma. So grandma get grandma slips a little bit here. We we don't know a whole lot, but we we know that, that we know a little bit. Yeah, I mean, again, there's there's something going on with that history. I mean, obviously, the story at the table lets us know there's definitely something going on uh, there. But uh, we we got to find out what it is. Uh, what's going on with great grandma? Like, is there some sort of mystical power that she had or that had unlocked, and then now that's been passed down to uh, Kamala, Kam, uh, Kamala, you know, just via her DNA or something like that? Is this something that was unlocked by you know, visitors from the stars. I mean, how literal is that story for chasing the stars? It's, it's, uh, uh, maybe she was in a spaceship for a minute. Maybe she went on a, a ride with some Cree or some scrolls or something like that. Um, I feel like they're, you know, going to do an inhuman connection with all this. Uh, that's just my, my gut. I think that's what the comics are as well. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I think that's what they are in the, in the comics um, so that she would have been unlocked via like the Terrigen mist, I believe it is. Uh, so maybe, maybe there's some kind of connection with uh, the, you know, that, uh, that Bengal has some kind of Terrigen energy there. Uh, who, who knows, but uh, they're, they're clearly foreshadowing something and clearly it has to do with her family lineage and her mom's side. So I won't try to take credit for this because this was a funny segment that I heard him do it on the uh, one of the Ringer podcasts. TK, <laughs> uh, she was. Uh, I think Joanna was asking, okay, what would what would be your Bon Jovi song? As we hear them talking about Bon Jovi next, Yusuf, he he's like you can tell as the dad, he's trying to push Bon Jovi as like wedding music. 
you know, or like <laughs> it's Jersey, like, baby. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's what they're doing here. And I gotta say, I think the fiance, Taisha, she is so cool. She yeah. like she she knows what's going on with with Kamala, and she tries to make mm-hmm. sure she doesn't get into trouble. And even right here, like, a, think about how women are with weddings. Right, they sometimes yeah. it can be the opposite way. Bridezilla, everything goes crazy. It has to be my way. She's, it's, she says, uh, Bon Jovi. You know, they start talking about Bon Jovi, and she, you know, she jokes about what her favorite Bon Jovi song is going to be. He asks her, <laughs> "How do you feel about our first dance being to living on a prayer?" She says, "I'd say it's better than you give love a bad name." So I mean, she's <laughs> right. she's, she's playing along. She is great. <laughs> And uh, like you said, they they play into Bon Jovi. I think for for me at least, I'm not sure if it was for you, but I I was definitely in the real poppy Bon Jovi song. You know, the one that was for like our generation. It's my life. That mm-hmm. was like a huge yeah huge song. So that would be the one that I'm sitting there. It's my life. But Bon Jovi, many different ways you can go. And this when they bring in the real world stuff like this, it always makes me smile. Uh. Her mom says, if it wasn't for slippery when wet, your father and I may never have met. <laughs> and, and it's just like one of those things where as a kid, you're like, oh, did my mom just say that? Oh, my slippery God. when what? What? <laughs> of all things. I know it's and and like Amir, the brother is just all grossed out. And mm. They're having this fun moment as a family. But Kamala asks about great grandma Aisha. And immediately she gets shot down. Uh, her mom Muniba says, "Where did you hear that name? Did that woman brought in shamed on a, our entire family? I had to move halfway around the world to forget it." And Kamala tries to ask, but Ma- says, "No, you would do the best to do the same." So Kamala tries and says, "You wanted me to focus on telling my own stories, but Mom says not this one. Let it go." So just again, just just stamping it down at every she, every turn. She just she's protecting she something, right? Yeah. yeah, she's hiding. She's protecting, but she does seem genuine. Like she's not. She doesn't seem bad. She seems like she right. just wants to keep her daughter safe. And yeah, uh, I I don't have an inkling that it's nefarious in, no. in any way. In the same way that we kind of did about Eleanor uh, b- back in Hawkeye. So we're now at the uh, the Ian Festival. Which is fun, really fun. It's at their mosque, um, party atmosphere. It looks like a carnival that like the local church would have. You know, there are rides and games mm-hmm. and events all over. People are all having a good time and having some drinks and food. And Bruno is there, and Bruno's all dressed up. And he, the relationship that Bruno has with their family is so great. The mom yeah. loves him. He's making devices for the dad. And the mom, oh, you look great. He was, do I look? Is it bright enough? Is it work? Is it fit? And so I just, God, Bruno, he's a good dude. He's a good he's dude. He's part of the family. I know. He, he's, he's a welcome Kimmy Gibbler or, yes. or uh, Urkel. A good, <laughs> yeah. Great reference there. Yeah. And the w- what we see in the mo- uh, in the mosque is so great. It's another one of these moments where things get very Scott Pilgrim, and they go <laughs> through the different groups of people at at the mosque. Yeah. Because a little bit of clueless too, a little bit of clueless yes. where they have all the types, the clicks, the, clicks. the groupings. Yeah. You're right. That's spot on when they move around in clueless and show you all the different people. And there's also double duty happening. One, Kamala wants to find out about her great grandma. But two, mm-hmm. this is campaign time. 
they're going around yeah. pushing for votes for for Nokia for Nokia. She's campaigning hard. First, she's talking to the gyro vendor, and uh, and and um, <laughs> they start going through the different groups of people. So, um, and Nokia takes charge. She says, "Okay, over there, those are the Illumin Anties." So cleverly right. named, like the the group of ants that are all the yeah. gossipers. And well timed too. After Doctor Strange, that was just makes me smile. Then there's a group that's called the Mosque Bros. We've got yeah. the Pious Boys. We've got the Insta Click, the Sunday School Teachers, the Converts, the Mini Harami yeah. Girls, and then the Illuminantes. I love the way they did this. Because it's everybody, great. we all do this in our head. We mm-hmm. maybe we don't have the names for the groups, but everybody knows like, oh, that's where those people sit over there, and that's their group. And yeah. like, I don't, I don't go over there. That's not where I belong. You know, it's just, right. it's, it's oh, it's really, really great to see. And then, um, so Nakia goes to ask Uncle Yusuf, Kamala's dad, for support in the election, and she's so smart. And manipulative, manipulative here, like the way she she lays it on him, and she says, oh. "You know, right now, yeah. Mala, she's helping me exercise our rights as citizen of this great nation to particu- to participate in democracy, to dream of building a better future. You wouldn't rob two young women of that future, would you, Uncle? I mean, come on, this is Kamala and me, your daughter, and basically your other daughter. Women suffered. <laughs> yeah. We fought for this. People died for this. You wouldn't kill our dreams, would you?" Checkmate. Oh, for not yet. And then she like, forces, yeah. she like forces a button on him and hands him a a, a, pl- a flyer, and he doesn't even know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it, it. He has no choice here. It's like she just <laughs> framed it in such a way that it's like, oh, if I don't now support you, I'm like betraying family, and I, this is my friend, my best friend, even. But yeah, family over friend, you know, that's, that's the hierarchy. <laughs> like he has no choice here. He's so SOL. It was, it was great. And um, his friend who is running, Rashid, looks over at him and, and Yusef is holding this vote for Nokia picture. And he's got the button. Rashid's like, what are you doing? And, oh, this was Great. I, I like fell in love with this character in this sh- in this episode. She's a great best friend. I need I think I've been calling her Nakia and Nakia back and forth both ways, but nonetheless, <laughs> she's she's awesome and uh and she really shined, I thought, in this episode. We then get the good cop, bad cop stuff with Agent Cleary. He's interrogating mm-hmm. Zoe. And this is exactly yeah. like we saw him interrogating MJ and Ned yeah. and Spider Man. He's playing yeah. her for info. He's like, wait. Oh, oh big time. You're not. It's the, a lot closer to the Ned one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not the Zoe Zimmer, right? What you got to be kidding me? I'm a huge fan. Everyone in the office is. That video you made about low calorie popcorn, 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 yeah. pop. It's all we get for the break room. Like he's just. And Zoe is really. You guys are fans. I can't believe it. And, <laughs> and he keeps going. You went to Avenger Con. All your fans must have been mobbing you there. I mean, it's crazy and. And she says, no, I mean, the costume contest did get canceled, but everyone said I was going to win. And then he he flips it. And then the enhanced individual tried to kill you, right? But Zoe says, no, she didn't, she didn't try to kill me. She saved my life. Says, I have a feeling you did this for the likes. Am I on to something? You and your bestie? Maybe actually it was your sister. 
you and that masked woman look pretty identical. White girl, red hair, <laughs> which it's funny to know that they don't look anything <laughs> like really. Yeah. Right? It, was, it was actually Kamala. Um, and Zoe's starting to get a little bit scared. She says, we don't look alike. She looks nothing like me. That's when yeah. Agent Deaver comes in. So she starts probing. So you do know what she looks like. What else do you know? So I, 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 I didn't really get a good look at her. I don't know. Any, and, and it also happened so fast. And this is where Deaver starts to get real racist. She leans mm. in. She says, was she Latina? Oh, I'm sorry. I <laughs> guess I'm supposed to say Latin X now, right? Middle Eastern, mm. South Asian. And there's a moment here with Cleary because while Officer Deaver is a white woman, mm-hmm. Cleary is not a white guy. Right. He, he's obviously some ethnic, whether it's Middle Eastern or Hispanic, like he's something that she just mentioned, you know, like some of the things that she was going through. And yeah. when, he, when he says, let's do a tri-state sweep, search every temple, community center and mosque. Yeah. So you wonder if he shares some of the same religious beliefs that that Kamala has, or maybe a mosque is somewhere important to him because that seemed like telling, giving her the green light to go, go ahead, go into mosques and do what you want, which is very mm-hmm. disrespectful and something that the cops have been doing since 9-11. Um, exactly. It, yeah. uh, and he, he touches on that there. He says the FBI is already surveilling them. You know that, which is, you know, a commentary on that, that the, that, um, Islamic people had been uh, unfairly maligned after after that, you know, uh, the the worst among them uh, represented them in, in a lot of people's eyes in America. Uh, and that's very much a fringe thing uh, for Islamic people uh, and Muslim people um, that uh, they 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 by and large denounce that sort of thing, any kind of like. Um, racial profiling. Activity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. And, they, they, but the racial profiling thing on the flip side, right? Like they're not. Right. And it, that would be. And, and I get so frustrated with this. It would be like taking the mo the 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 worst, most negative from any religion, like industry, right? People at the job that mm-hmm. do what you do. There's always someone who goes and does something poorly. Does that always need to right. reflect on you? No, that's not fair to take only the worst of the worst and assume that. Yeah, you could do that with with uh, Catholic people uh, just the same, and and, yep. and you know because there were some priests that uh, and that admittedly is a big problem, probably still is. Oh, yeah. in, in places, but still you you can't write off all Catholic people as like pedophiles or supporters of of you know the things that uh, the Catholic Church has even been uh, responsible for. There's there's <laughs> historically there's some not so nice things. Uh, the Inquisition, for one. That that uh, that the Catholic Church did, uh, but regardless, uh, it's there's more to it than that, and it, it's good that this show is like representing, uh, you know, these sorts of things fairly, and that they're 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 being honest about you know p- the post 9/11 reality that still exists today. So we're back at the uh, EID, uh, the ID party. And Kamala is talking with the Illuminantes, and she's starting to ask questions now about her great grandmother, who nobody likes. Nobody likes. They said many people knew her and probably wished they hadn't. Did you have a good mother? She did not deserve the shame this woman brought to her family. My father called her a snake. She put a curse on everything she touched. I heard she had a secret affair and took off with someone. I heard she had many affairs and she had a secret family. I heard she killed a man. Oh, everyone stops. <laughs> What? 
So yeah, it happened during partition. So as she's prying the Illuminantes and getting a little bit of information, at least like the, she's getting the most info that she's got so far yeah, about her great grandmother. And Dickens. yeah, <laughs> right as this happens, we get screams from a young boy who this is just how how society is nowadays, right? Someone's taking a selfie and they like fall into the lion cage at the zoo. You know, this this right. is exactly what it is. This boy is trying to take a selfie of him on this huge like bell tower and in trying to take this awesome looking selfie, he slips, drops his phone and he's hanging by a thread. And <laughs> all of a sudden the wheels start spinning for Kamala. Time to shine. Her and Bruno look at each other. She wants to help. She runs <laughs> off. She gets costumed up and she walks up to the uh to the roof area to try to save this boy. Nightlight. Nightlight. I love when in any of the Marvel stuff, when the crowds talk and get involved. And we see this here with the one guy going, Nightlight, did he say (laughs) ice cream pizza? You know, they make the comments. And then we see the tweets start rolling in from people that are so funny because that's what happens nowadays. People film something and then they go right to Instagram and Twitter. And they post it. Yeah, it's they're live streaming. What would be happening? And people are streaming her trying to save this young boy. And she, she's such a dork too. And so, in like a sweet way, she tries mm-hmm. to like calm him down by talking to him as he's hanging on. We got all the people from below that are at the mosque. They're watching overhead as this woman, this girl in a superhero costume, goes to try to save this boy. And. Yeah. And she says, calm down, think happy thoughts. He mentions ice cream pizza as his favorite food. And yeah. I love that it was like in this serious moment of him about to die, they have to stop and talk about ice cream pizza because it's so awkward. She's like, wait, mm. is it two foods? Is it one food? He's going, no, I put ice cream on the pizza. <laughs> and then the guy on the floor, did somebody say ice cream pizza? And so we're just having this kind of chuckle about ice cream pizza nonetheless she's able to use the hard light in form those little lily pads in order to walk over to the boy and as it looks as if she's going to fall as it looks like the boy is going to fall Kamala saves him and she seems like she has some things worked out but right as she's about to bring him to safety that sort of that vision kind of overwhelms her again yeah, it's it's as if she kind of reaches out to help the boy, and it's like the bangle activates like a portal, almost some sort of opening to that realm where there's purple colors yeah. all over. And again, it's this vision of the woman who's reaching out to Kamala, and so the boy falls. Tim, she's yeah. able to use like shoot out little bolts of the hard light to ease his fall, but he falls pretty hard and ends up. Yeah. Kind of hurting himself like it's not smooth It's not clean at all And Looks keep in bad. mind she's not Athletic either right and that's what that's what I really love uh-huh. she's not just A super powered being and all of a sudden She's the fastest strongest and can do Everything she right. has one Specific set of powers she Can't even like catch this kid when he's Falling you know yeah. so she's not strong All she can do is use Her powers and she's got to figure out a way To be able to always Take advantage of those the kid gets a little bit hurt, but she does sort of save him. I think more than anything, she's kind of embarrassed. Right. You know, and yeah. she kind of like runs off like 
to hide because she 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 was feeling so good about herself a moment ago yeah. and now she was feeling herself yeah right? that's right she was like chest was puffed out she was like it was like that she walked into school feeling i got powers and yeah. now all of a sudden uh-oh what's going on and why am i kind of being like haunted by this vision mm. someone like chasing yeah. me it does remind me a little bit of what happened with america in doctor strange like she's she's kind of being like mm-hmm. chased through dimensions mm. yeah that's a good analogy there uh, I, I i like that uh and I, I love the moment here too. Like it, it's it's such a real moment. And this is the the moment that made me think of uh, Kick Ass before. It, it's it's raw, kind of the way that that kid falls and he hurts his ankle and yes. uh, it, it it it's just a bad look for her. It's embarrassing. It brings her right down to earth about as fast as that kid fell. Uh, and uh, uh, I noticed only because of again new rock stars. That the kid apparently was the shoe thief. The Those thief. shoes that he had. He were, stole the freaking shoes. What a shoes. great detail. Yeah. And, and you only <laughs> see the shoe. Like, you, it's not something they slap you over the face with. If you would have yeah. to be have been paying attention to the shoes, Nokia makes mm-hmm. a comment about what type of shoes yeah. they are. And then you can see the brand there that he's wearing them. Um, yeah. Little tiny little details. Little things like that. that yeah, are, it's great. Great. And uh, how, about, how about the other detail of uh, the posing? She did it in the in the, her imagination in the first uh, episode, but Kamala, when she kind of leaps here, she does that like you know awkward Black Widow pose. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's a little yeah. awkward. Yeah, but she's she's but she, such a fan; it makes sense because she she would emulate them to the yeah, fullest, uh, even if it's in an awkward way. A little poser. She's such a poser, yeah. as uh, <laughs> Yelena would say. Exactly, so, Kamala saddened runs off like leaping across buildings and she's like in an alleyway regrouping but she quickly realized she's being chased by the dodc she's able to use her powers to evade them initially she escapes cleary and deaver and some officers that are running after her and Some drones too huh yeah dro- you're right drones are chasing her and she looks cornered but she's able to kind of it feels like like a super like a I'm thinking like Super Mario Crash Bandicoot, right? It was exactly like yeah. a video game where she like is running and then she just all of a sudden creates these stepping stones out of nowhere yeah. that she can just run through the air. And here comes the good looking, fast talking <laughs> Cameron pulling up in his fancy car to save the day. Kamala jumps in and in the back seat, the woman dun, dun, dun. from the visions, the woman who had been reaching out to her. Najma, who yeah. is apparently, possibly Kamala's great grandmother, Aisha. This might be the same person. We don't know. That's what's so cool about this show. We and the comics. We know things from the comics, but they don't pull anything directly. They change things. Sure. They make it a little bit their own. And TK, we. Yeah. What I love is there are a lot of questions to ask now. Is uh-huh. is Cameron? Is Cameron and Najim and Najma are they good? Are they genuinely trying to help right. Kamala or no? Are they bad? Are they trying to get the bangle or whatever Kamala has? Is her family mm. right? Is this a bad woman? Is this a bad lady? Or is it one of right. those instances where the family and the stories about them are completely mistaken? Maybe these are good mm-hmm. people who really are trying to help, and at the end of this story. There's this family coming together moment. 
I, I'm genuinely curious, and I think either way could end up working well. Yeah, that's the mystery at the heart right now, and uh, I think that's why it's interesting because either outcome would be uh, quite compelling. Uh, but uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be more benevolent uh, outcome than a nefarious one. I think but so too. that's just just a hunch I so that I have. I think there's just probably the some way greater... that they've been laying it on with how evil she was. Right. I think yeah, that it's, yeah. I think that it has to be a little bit of a red herring. And mm-hmm. it, it does sort of feel like Cameron, I, I think is pretty genuine too. Like, I don't think they're mm-hmm. bad. I, I, I can see it if they want to spin it that way. But, and it, it would be fine if there's, a, if there's, you know, um, a double cross here happening. But I love the right? fact that yeah. her family is now helping her and this, she is going to trust them because she thinks they're her mm-hmm. family. Right, she's gonna lean on yeah. them for this information. So I'm really curious where they're gonna go, uh, moving on into episode three. And I, yeah. I loved like episode one was good. I thought it set the scene a little bit, but I like this series way more after episode two, and then even going back and watching the first one after. I really like where we're headed. It's fun. The pace is fun, and not everything has to be. Save the world in every single episode yeah. We're getting we're getting there Like we're gonna get there She's gonna be put in a, in a spot where We're gonna have some of these big Superheroes I think coming in on this show But mm-hmm. you gotta set the scene a little bit Make us care about these characters The one we keep coming back to And, I, and we're gonna reference a lot Is Eternals We didn't mm-hmm. care enough about them I care about Kamala, I care about Bruno. I care about Nakia. I care about the family now. Mr. Yeah. Wilson is great. I care about Kate Bishop. You know, yeah. I, I care about Yelena in those shows. It's it's it doesn't matter if it's a superhero show, if it's the office, or it's in, you know, a jail and we're talking about Oz or Orange is the new black. It's all about characters, not settings. It is. Settings are window dressing, you know, mm-hmm. like a there's going to be cool visual stuff here. Yeah, we're going to see some cool CGI stuff and some cool power graphics, but yeah. the characters are what's the most important. Make us care about the people and everything else will come. And through two episodes, I care about Kamala and her friends and her family. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and we're going to see the cosmic scale. I mean, they've already let us know that. We know we're getting cosmic storytelling here uh but we're starting small and we're starting with the family and the relationships uh and the characters and 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 making us care about what they care about and then uh if we care about them and their high school problems when they build up to you know galactic cosmic scale uh it's going to be that much more impactful uh and i i think they're they're Executing everything very well so far, like more so than I would have expected uh, for this. Uh, when I heard about the show on the surface, I was worried that I was going to get a Disney Channel thing. And to me, it's just not that. It's no. much, much better than that. Uh, this episode also happened to be directed by Mira Menon, who is a uh, former client of mine. When I, back in my pet sitting days, I used to take care of her cat, awesome. her, her That's lovely so husband. Cool. Yeah, so, uh, so that's just a small little tidbit there. Uh, she actually has directed episodes of The Punisher, um, some independent films, uh, a number of really cool things. 
Uh, so she's a, like a really talented person, her and her husband, really talented people uh, in the film industry. So uh, just wanted to give them a little shout out there, too, because I was really pulling for them to to make something good on this. They've had a great track record so far. And uh, this, you know, it turned out really, really nice. I, I, I can't believe how much visual flair is in that's, just about that's every the, shot of this show. Right, the title screens, the animation, the graphics. There's yeah. the one little moment where they do the. The Ms. Marvel, but they want it to be yeah. the S is really sharp because they want yeah. it to be like, and they have it through brass knuckles and then like the mm-hmm. look of a car dashboard. Then we get the night sky. It looks like Moon Knight, like the, yeah, the yeah. title screen. And then there's one that's obviously modeled after Saved by the Bell. Like the Saved by the Bell. Yeah. It's so 100%. so cool how they go through these. And we talked about the clips and the little animations in the background. And it is. If you are a fan of the comic in reading, and because I didn't, I didn't hit, know a whole lot about Miss Marvel coming into this show. This was one of the comics mm-hmm. that I didn't know all that much because it was one of the newer, later comics when you and I might have been a little bit older. And mm-hmm. I am in everything I've read. All the people who like who read this comic and who love this comic say this is as close to the comic as any of the shows they've done. They yeah. really are are leaning into. And, and trying to be authentic to a very well received comic. I think they're doing a fantastic job through two episodes here. I'm really excited where we're we're going moving forward with this. And I love how quick it moves. So even if there's something that happened that wasn't great, it just doesn't it doesn't linger there. It doesn't sit there long. It moves quickly to the next, to the next, to the next. And you mentioned Scott Pilgrim and Kick Ass and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and mm-hmm. Spider Man Say by the Bell. You get these feels of yeah. Of all of these, as we're on the journey with Kamala learning her powers, she can she um deal with the uh the embiggening of her arms yeah. and her hands and the green lantern like powers, the hard light that's how they describe it. We'll find out more as Tim kind of teased is this something that was Cree tech? Is this something inhuman? Is this something from the bangle or just uh, a family thing? We have a lot. To get into over the next what four more episodes because I believe yeah. this is a six part so we're a third of the way through and I think they've done a great great job the first third of the way these first two episodes I loved it Tim and uh, it sounds yeah. like you were pretty happy with uh, a lot of what we saw too I'm high on this show uh, it, it, it has exceeded my expectations and I feel like a broken record saying this almost every series but this feels like they're topping themselves. I, I I would even go a step further than maybe we've said so far and say that I like this show better than I liked Moon Knight. And Moon Knight was I was really high on. Uh, when, I don't know. There's just they, something about it. It's new. Like we said, it's new. It's I love the identity of it. It's it's a cool, fun, high school coming of age show. And then yeah. oh yeah, this girl in real life is obsessed with the Avengers. So that plays into it so much. And we will be here with you on this journey over the next month. We'll have uh, recaps now each and every week where we dive into episode three next week, then episode four, then five, then six. That'll lead us right into Thor, Love, and Thunder. Wow. Which is, uh, yeah, uh, next month, not even a month away from the movie coming out. So we'll have a lot of Marvel MCU. You'll be hearing Tim Kelly with me uh, quite a bit over the next few months as we Dive into Ms. Marvel, and then we jump on into Thor, Love, and Thunder. 
Make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out uh, Ice Cream Fire, the music project that he does with his lovely wife. And Tim, my friend, uh, it's funny uh, when we don't talk for like one week, it feels like quite a while. And uh, I'm glad <laughs> we were able to get into But it is nice sometimes when we can talk about multiple episodes because you sort yeah. of have a different perspective when you've seen the one after. So I feel like yeah. those conversations are a little different. And now we know a little bit more than we would have uh, after just one episode. So looking forward mm-hmm. to talking next week with you, buddy, about episode three. Same. Tim Kelly, that's the man right there. You'll hear him talking Marvel, talking MCU each and every week right here on That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks to TK, Tim Kelly, for helping us out with Miss Marvel. We'll have week-by-week recaps for you over the next five weeks, and then we'll jump right into Thor, Love and Thunder, and we're going to finish up Obi-Wan Kenobi next week with Matt Velasco. This is the first time in the Disney Plus era where there have been new shows for Star Wars and Marvel currently going simultaneously. So we're having a lot of fun. Over the next two weeks, we'll have recaps for both of those, and then um, we'll be a little while before we get back into some Star Wars content. Thanks to Matt. Thanks to Tim. Thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't forget about Louisiana Downs on Tuesday with their racing, and every day that they race, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'll be out there with my selections, and we'll be helping out on the broadcast. We'll be back a little later on in the week with our normal episode that'll preview everything happening on the weekend. Good luck in the next few days, and we'll talk to you again soon. Joey, my friend, take it away.